Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net. What's up, everyone? Freddie the Pizza Man here, host of the Pizza Man Podcast. Now joining forces with ChristopherMedia.net. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Pizza Man Podcast. And, of course, find all the podcasts on ChristopherMedia.net. We talk Detroit sports. I bring on guests, uh, passions, opinions, uh, all for Detroit sports, and more. We even talk pizza. So thanks for tuning in and uh, spread the word. From Asmacore Studios near Detroit, Michigan, it's unregimented. Gangsters, what's up, guys? And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Unregimented. This is episode number 232. My name's Aaron. I'm Rich. I am the Holy Prophet Toddzilla. Welcome. Hello. So, there's a lot that I want to get to today. Let's jump right into Trump territory and get that out of the way. Because, well, I mean, it's not really even about Trump. The Trump's just involved in, he was just handed this mess and uh, has to decide what to do with it. But, you know, back when, uh, when Trump was running, and actually before he was even running, he was just very uh, vocally critical of Obama and especially his handling of Syria. I don't know if you guys remember what he was, the, the tweets that he was putting out there about, oh, he was saying basically that, that Obama was weak because he, he backed down from his stance on, on Syria using uh, chemical weapons, which he did. And also that you don't, t- the, the, what every other president has done wrong, according to Trump, is that they told them, they threatened them with action, with direct action. Right, where Trump says, "I'm just going to act. They're not going to see me coming." So now we get to see that play out in real life. What happens when Trump has to be the one to deal with the sod? I mean, that's to be determined. But I don't know, if, Rich, if you've uh, followed any of this recent news. But since the the chemical attack that that happened, Trump tweeted out that uh, to get ready for new smart missiles that he's going to send over. Yeah. And also seemed to give a, a heads up to Russia, which I was I was kind of confused about that. Well, didn't uh, one of Russia's people say we don't we don't engage in Twitter diplomacy? They did, yeah. In response yeah. to him. Right. And I was just like, well, that's but that's that's how Trump that's how Trump that's his does only his, that, yeah. That's his, that's his outlet. That's the way he. That's the way he does diplomacy, is through social media, and once again, it just makes us look like the fucking adolescents of the world. And when Russia looks like the adult in the room, and we look like the fucking petulant children throwing a temper tantrum <laughs> right. online, because mommy and daddy bought me the wrong color iPhone. I I don't. But what does it mean to to tell Russia? I mean, obviously, Russia is the major power involved in this in, in, in Syria right now. And and what does it mean to, is it a threat to Russia or is it a warning to Russia? 
I don't think it's any. I don't think it's either or. I think it's basically public relations for our eyeballs. He's doing this on yeah. Twitter. He wants to be seen as being tough on Russia. It doesn't have anything to do with diplomacy or foreign policy. I think it's just the the public relations tactic he uses via Twitter. No, he's still in campaign mode. He's never left campaign mode. This is a, a campaign trick, I think, to sort of fallaciate his his base. I don't think it has anything to do with Putin or Syria. Yeah. Well, as long as he has the appearance of being tough. Right. Sure. His base will appreciate that and and lap it up. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so far, how many days has it been since the attack in Syria, the chemical Mm. attack? It's the beginning of the week. Less than a week. Right. And while we know that, well, we would assume, based on what Trump has said in the past, that if there is an attack, he's not going to give a heads up. But he doesn't seem to be taking much action on the scene. Who knows? You know, this is stuff that, you know, us average citizens aren't privy to, obviously, but it does seem like just all talk. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of Me- and Mexico is going to pay for it. Yeah, it's just it's uh, just blather coming out so, of his mouth. Exactly. That, that's that's how I'm reading this, because we for do all we the- even see another missile attack, though. I mean, is it well, who knows? Is I mean, it just going to be another another attack like last time where they just kind of laughed it off <laughs> Hit an empty building. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they, they flat out said we're going to shoot down any missiles you you send anybody sends our way. Well, Russia has said that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it, it's question it's questionable as to whether Russia has the ability. To, I mean, they. I, this they ain't North can, Korea. They can shoot down missiles. Yes, whether they're going to get all the missiles that come in. You know, Trump- I'm just saying I don't know if they're getting to the final round of missile command. <laughs> <laughs> It reminds me, I, I, I'm, I'm tentative to say anything because it reminds me of what I said about the sanctions on China a few weeks ago. You know, that uh, maybe he's just all talk yeah. and blah, 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 but you don't know. He's actually playing this game rather well, I guess, in some weird way where he, you don't know what to expect out of him. You don't know whether to take what he's saying seriously or not. You don't know if it's PR, bluster, or if he's actually conspiring these things in his mind, you right. know, some sort of retaliatory strike. I right, don't know. He doesn't have like a, a leadership technique. He he has a technique of getting shit done. It's chaos. Like, like a, yeah. a leader would come in and say, okay, you know, this might be a, a difficult situation that we have to deal with, but I have to get the people behind me and make sure that they know where I stand. And that's right. not Trump's stance. He wants to obfuscate as much as possible. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if we, even if we're a, a Trump voter or not, it doesn't matter if the citizens have an idea of what Trump's going to do. Right. So that's it's not really a leader. <laughs> I mean, that's a, it's a manager, and it might be an effective manager. Right, right. And if you want your country run as a business, well, then I guess this is the evidence of it. But a manager is not going to come to the guy who works at the cash, as the cashier at the front and go over you know, the payroll and expenses for that month and make sure that everyone's square with it. Yeah, make sure they're okay right. with the overhead. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is just more of Trump's style of "quote unquote" leading, isn't it? I mean, yeah. he rules with he rules through fear. Anybody could be anybody can be gone at any moment, right? And and if he can't, if the fear isn't that I can fire you, then the fear is you don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm a madman. Exactly. Exactly. It's the unknown that everyone's like, oh shit. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if we wake up tomorrow morning and you know. There's been an attack overnight while we're all asleep or something. It wouldn't shock me. I, and, <clears throat> I mean, I don't, 
I don't know. I, it, it, it was kind of the same way when we got Bin Laden, and it came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like It's mm-hmm. not like we knew what was going on. It's not like they were like, okay, so SEAL Team 6 is right, right. now going into a compound. You know, No, it was just all of a sudden, yeah, the president's going to talk in an hour, and everyone started speculating, oh, we got Bin Laden. Right, you know, so I mean, it's 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 kind of par for the course. I mean, what is we the, find out the, after the the shit? What's the strategic advantage of announcing you're going to launch a missile strike? Why wouldn't you just do it? I mean, when you that's what I thought of when you thought of when you mentioned Bin Laden when we finally got him, we had no idea what was going on. They didn't go on TV and or take Twitter yeah. or Facebook and say, "Oh, we're going after Bin Laden this week." Yeah. Well, why wouldn't the, you just do it? There is a there isn't a strategic advantage. The, it comes down to the question of do you want to. Uh, initiate some kind of actual combat because look if, if you've decided that that you hate somebody enough that you want to cause physical harm to him i'm going to go over there and beat the fuck out of that guy right if right. you call him up first you're looking for excuses to not go or maybe right. you'll blow off enough steam and 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 decide to, to not go beat the guy's ass and risk going to jail Right. But if you've are if you've made the decision that this guy needs to be beat up, then you're just going to show up and you're going to fucking do it. Right, right. Fear of but the act is sometimes worse than the act. So you know if you can tell people that hey, I'm going to launch these missile strikes on you and you know sort of instill them with some sense of terror. Threat threats are still part of diplomacy. Yeah, and that's yeah. the 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 last ditch effort of diplomacy before <laughs> you you have to actually back up your words. Well, I mean, forgive me for sounding like a, a, a half-ass isolationist, but why the fuck is this our problem in the first place? Well, we've kind of made it our problem. But yeah, we well, created I mean, we a have vacuum a, there. <laughs> well, I mean, we have a bad habit of sticking our nose in everybody's business, and then when it goes to shit, you know, we, it's like we we go, oh, how'd that happen? Well, stop stirring the fucking pot. How about that? But, I mean, like we were talking before, you know, when we were – having a pre-show meeting, I don't even really know the ins and outs and workings of it. It doesn't sound like there's any, you know, France was sitting here and Poland was sitting here and the evil Nazis invaded. You know what I'm saying? Like they were just minding their business. Right. This, it sounds like it's, it's what we get a lot of in history that, that people can't deal with the reality of it, history is bad people winning wars over other bad people for yeah. the most part. Well, you know, it's, if we do get into conflict over Syria, it's not going to be like World War II. It's probably going to be more like World War I, where nobody was really, really saw it coming or was re- interested in being it, but found themselves having to back up their words and back up their, their, uh, their uh, allies. This is the word I was looking for. Right. Well, I don't understand so in, this, in this situation. Why, why isn't Europe taking the lead in this? I mean, the Syrian refugee well, crisis has created such, uh, such a problem in Europe. They're being flooded with Syrian refugees. It's half of the, the problem with the, the gurgling fascism over there. Why aren't they taking a lead? If they could stabilize Syria, they could address their own problem with immigration, with refugees, well, right? Well, right. Why, uh, aren't they, why aren't they trying to stabilize this? Why is it us? Who's the, the French? They have a president, prime minister, whatever, Marcon. Is that the right guy? He was yeah. saying that you know he's been talking to Trump a lot about this. This is very serious. They they you know, uh, they can't allow Assad to poison his own people. That's crossing oh, a line. But fucking Christ, that sounds like Saddam Hussein. We've heard this fucking story before. He goes right. to his own people. <laughs> right, right, right. 
But like up until that line is crossed, you don't give a shit. That's what I don't get. Uh, you're right, Rich. What's past is prologue. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Ty. That Europe should be concerned. I mean, I know that they're concerned now. They're concerned because atrocities are happening, war crimes that they could possibly uh, put on trial. But up until then, yeah, I, I, I guess they just it's not on their radar enough. I mean, it's on their radar well, enough because they're, they're being flooded with uh, refugees. Well, why bother? To, but, you know, but why, the United but, States, if, if the big brother across the pond is willing to go in and spend his money and use his weapons to take care of the problem, why would France? Yeah. Well, you know, we've seen what the, the real solution to our own immigration problems are, and that's have a better economy in Mexico. Yeah. Or, or at least have things evened out between the two countries. Right? Yeah. That's, when, that's when immigration goes down. De-incentivized. When, Coming across the border. Right. By having, you know, good trade policies with your neighbors yeah. and making sure that they're doing well. Make sure they, they're not starving at home. Right. <laughs> or being, in the case of Syria, being blown up by some civil war. But see, that's far too long-sighted for American sensibilities. We much rather... Civil war. <laughs> Did you hear deal? that? <laughs> I heard some civil war talk. <laughs> Fucking Siri. This bitch can... Siri, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Siri out. the people and, are talking. Uh, <laughs> it says, "Hey Siri, be blown up by some civil war." <laughs> yeah, sure. do that, Siri. Okay, I found something on the web for blown out by some civil war. Take a look. <laughs> hold on, hold I like on, hold blown on. out. Hey Siri, go fuck yourself. <laughs> There's no need for that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Siri, oh, eat a dick. <laughs> I can't well, believe okay. it. This just creeped me out, man. <laughs> my phone's listening to my conversations. Yeah. To go, go the fuck away. Wow. Well, <laughs> I, you know, we, we've, we have a history of doing this. We, you know, you look back at the 80s when Russia was over in Afghanistan. We supported basically what became the Taliban, trained them, supplied them with weapons. Yep. And then we end up having to clean up that mess because, well, we had to stick our fucking nose in it. It's what we had to do. But what did we do when we went over there? We went over there, trained them, gave them weapons. And then basically when Russia was like, all right, fuck it, we're out, we did nothing to help them with their infrastructure. We built no schools. The billions of dollars in money that in, in weapons and training and, and, and boots on the ground and CIA operatives and, and all that shit that we spent – yeah. And we, we offered, I think it was something like ridiculous, oh. like 15, 20 million to help them rebuild infrastructure. Go back a little further. And we helped carve out a piece of their holy land for a bunch of Jews to live in and then said, well, what problem is it of ours? Well, you know, but, you know, also. Why should we be involved in the Middle East? Also, I think that's, that's interesting because the way I kind of look at Israel is that. You know, people go, oh, well, you know, that's that's the promised land for the Jews, and then it's the holy land for the Muslims. And I'm like, oh, it's a piece of religions. fucking dirt <laughs> yeah. that people have been dying over for thousands of years. Don't you guys know that the holy land was inside of you the whole time? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> where's, and where's, where's take the five, tent that Dumbo was trained on? I mean, <laughs> take five what? grams of dried mushrooms and get to know God that way, okay? Yeah. Stop fucking blowing people up in the name of... Your imaginary friend, but, but no, but no, absolutely, positively. 
I was, I was, I, it's funny, I was talking to my cousin, and she's a Seventh-day Adventist. I think that's what they're called. And I was on a roll, and I just said, yeah, whatever, you know, religion you are, Seventh-day Adventurist or whatever. And she's like, <laughs> I actually like that better. That sounds like, you know, some Indiana Jones shit. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, religion I'm gonna get, belongs in a museum. Exactly. I'm going to get my fedora and go have an adventure for seven days. All right. That's, that, that is where you, that's where any religion belongs at this point, in a museum. <laughs> well, you know. That's its place. Post-World War II, and this isn't a very popular opinion, and in certain parts of Europe, I'm pretty sure I could be fucking prosecuted for saying this. Post-World War II, the Jews really did go, Oh, the Hitler guy, he's kind of an asshole. But you know what? Let's use this to leverage ourselves back into our into our fucking into our promised land. And that's exactly what they did. They went to the UN and said, We want to create the state of Israel. Right. That was post World War Two. That was we're sorry we let this happen to your people. Yeah. Sorry about that. Here, you can have this land. And the Palestinians are like what? Because we you didn't see us? <laughs> what the fuck? You know, like we weren't here. Yeah. We're already here. And it's, once again, meddling in shit that really has nothing to do with us. Well, you can bring this, you bring it forward into contemporary times. I mean, the, um, this whole problem in Syria was caused by the invasion of Iraq after 9-11. It created a vacuum, killed Hussein, who, right or wrong, he was a piece of shit, but he had control of the region. Kept the motherfuckers in line. Yeah, you take him out, you create this power vacuum, <laughs> and all of a sudden, who, what? What's this Islamic State shit? Kept the camels right. running on time. <laughs> nice. Sorry, uh, and that's, that's what's happening yeah. in Syria. It's just it's spilled over into Syria, and now we've got this, you know, Iraq's still not in very good shape, and uh, now we've got to clean this mess up there as well. You know, meddling in shit that, yeah, we don't really have any business meddling in, especially what? after, you know, one of the nice things, one of the things that I will always toot my horn for is that in March of 2003, I was in New York City protesting the inevitable war before we went into Iraq. And that war had nothing to do with 9-11. He didn't do anything to us in context of the terrorist strikes or anything. And now here right. it is, what, almost, almost 15, it is 15 years now. It's 15 years later, as of last month, or this month, and we're still cleaning up that imperialist, adventurist mess. Oh, yeah. Remember the, the guy who took the sledgehammer to uh, the statue in, in Iraq of, uh, do, you, do you remember the, I mean, eventually the, the they came by with the the back hose or whatever and just yanked the thing down. Talk about a Saddam? Oh uh, yes, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, yeah the, there was. Uh, and they were beating it with their shoes because it's like the ultimate form a, of disrespect. Yeah, there was one man who started it all. Who was so anxious to see him gone that as soon as he saw Americans rolling tanks into his country, he went out there and started beating on the statue with the sledgehammer, trying to take it down. <laughs> And it became a whole thing. And they interviewed him recently, and he said, I wish I never did any of that shit. I want Saddam back, honestly. He's like, I don't like Saddam, but at least I, I knew what my country was, and I could you know, deal with it. Yeah, and this is the thing. I, I remember going off on anarchists not too long ago on this show. Maybe it, was, maybe it might have been last year. I don't remember. But this is the problem with anarchy. And this is the problem with people that just want to tear everything down because it just sucks. And it's, you don't understand, I don't think, half the time, most of the time, I don't think most people understand the alternatives and how bad the alternatives really are. And the, Iraq and now Syria is a really, really good example that you sons of bitches ought to be really careful sometimes of what you wish for and what you ask for. Yeah. 
And I don't want to take it down this road. I was going to, if I were, I guess if I had a line of cocaine before the show, I'd probably be willing <laughs> to do this. And, but, you know, this is kind of what I think terrifies me about the state of the country we're in now is that, you know, we're starting to tear at the, at the seams and at the fabric of our own culture, our own society, our own, own political structure to get to the point where we're just going to start tearing each other's throats out. We're, we're sort of asking for that in some weird, odd degree or sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, things, things may be bad and things may be, you know, imperfect, but creating a state of anarchy or civil war or however you want to look at it isn't going to be better. You know, it's, it's best, I think, to try to deal with what you've got and fix it as best you can rather than just blow it up and invite yourself into an existence inside of a warlord state. Right. Well, I mean, uh, and, and, and also you have, you know, the Iraq clusterfuck i mean afghanistan it was by the first of october we had boots on the ground after september 11th i mean and we've been there ever since no there's no timetable to get out it's just it's a perpetual war at this point it's just it's going to we're going to have to stay there until we either just abandon or russia it's russia it's the same thing the russians did in the 80s in the same country or, or, or we install someone that we, we right. can live with. Well, that, right. that's why we're so afraid to just walk away from Afghanistan, because we know that Russia will instantly fill that void. Yeah, let and, them. And then and, they'll and, get caught in the same quagmire they were in in the 80s before we filled the quagmire. Well, and then we'll send <laughs> Rambo over there potato. for Rambo 6 to fight <laughs> alongside the Taliban right. against Russia again. Well, you know, let them, and then... Yeah, somewhere 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 down the line, they control most of the oil in the world. We have to come to them. I saw Rambo three compound bow with an explosive tipped arrow can take out a fucking Russian helicopter. Okay, there there was one thing that I had I had forgotten about this, and I don't I haven't not heard much people talk about this connection. Maybe I'm I'm not uh, reading or listening to the right sources, but it seemed pretty clear to me that the reason that Assad chose this time now to attack his own people with chemical weapons was because Trump had just tweeted out a week prior that we will be out of Syria very soon. If that's the case, Assad's an idiot. Don't you think that that's right? Look, he's had them and he has no compunction against using them on his own people, but it seems like he's restrained from doing so because he doesn't want to invite missile attacks into his country. But or as soon maybe, as he he sees- maybe he doesn't really want the U.S. out. It, it almost seems to me like, why wouldn't he wait? If that's the case, why wouldn't he just wait? Wait until, if we're leaving, wait until we've left. You know, the reaction almost seems like, no, please don't go. Please don't go. That, uh, that's interesting, he's pro- too. He's provoking Trump to stay. What? I, don't underst- I don't understand how the... I mean, he's not stupid, I wouldn't think. He's saying, I mean, why I would... would- I- I don't know what what the benefit. What, what would what would be the benefit for Assad or for Syria for the U.S. to stay? I don't know. I'm 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 trying to. I'm not that well versed, I guess, in international relations. And I'm not yeah, a Middle East. I know. I, I hear you. But I I just it it doesn't make a lot of sense. To yeah, he says he's going to go, but all his shit's still here. All of uh, the, the troops and the right, the. Uh, right. Why would he? Why would he wait? Why wouldn't he wait? 
If that's the case, if he does, if he feels like he's been unleashed because American intervention is about to end in his country, why wouldn't he wait until the infrastructure and the weaponry is out of the country to do that? Why provoke well, us to stay? That's that's a va- a valid question. I hadn't thought about it from that angle. But, so put your, mean, let's put the, let's put the tinfoil hat on for a minute. Sure. <laughs> is is there it. a benefit? Is there a benefit to Assad or Russia? Well, I, for us to be I would there? imagine. I, well, I don't know. I don't think that us pulling out of Syria would make it any less interesting to Russia. Whose side are we on so, in Syria right now? We're on Assad's side, correct? He's fighting ISIS, correct? So that's that's public uh, enemy number one right now, correct? Right. So we're helping him against ISIS. We're helping him combat his enemy in his country right now, correct? Yeah. So that makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you provoke the dumbass, the orange buffoon in the White House by using a chemical weapon attack to keep the big infrastructure, the big imperial infrastructure in place to keep helping you against the enemy, even if you have to endure a missile? They're not going to shoot him. He doesn't give a shit who they blow up. So I was half right. I mean, it was in reaction to the president's tweet, just not for the reasons that I thought. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. I can see that. I, that makes the, the most sense to me because if it's just taken at face value, it makes no sense. It yeah. makes no strategic sense. And he's a politician. He's a strong man. Whatever. He's not stupid. I assume he's better than Donald Trump in thinking two or three steps ahead. I would imagine so. <laughs> Who isn't? Uh, well, so that that makes sense. He wants to keep thing. us there, and that's the way to put. That's the way to poke the monkey. Trump's got a side to deal with. He's got. You know. He's. They're still talking about a, a meeting. Between him and uh, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, which one are we on? I always get them mixed up. And uh, you know, he's also in this trade war with China. So he's got a lot on his plate that he should be dealing with. And I, honestly, I find myself in the weird position of, of thinking, I wish he had better counsel on his other issues. This, you know, on the, he's, he has to deal with the Stormy Daniels lawsuit. And the Russia investigation. And I have, I'm pretty confident that, you know, the FBI is going to be able to do its job no matter what happens. So the idea that Trump is, is kind of left out in the wind without any real counsel for, for these issues, it's kind of concerning to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I want him, <laughs> what's going to happen to Trump is going to happen. I want him in a better place. To deal, I mean, I can't do anything about the fact that he's chosen to take on, you know, a trade war with China and a Twitter war with North Korea and a a dick measuring contest with Syria. But that's the situation we're in. If if that's the situation we're in, then can we get the president a real lawyer to give him some peace of mind so he can just deal with those issues? Well, the FBI just raided his real lawyer. I mean, it... (laughs) No, is his, didn't Michael Cohen, hadn't he already resigned before he this? His, I don't know. I don't remember. I know he was his lawyer. He was I'm his clear. primary go-to lawyer. Right, <laughs> so. and I'm not, I'm not clear on the timeline if this was uh, when the, the actual raid happened. but yeah. I, Because we heard about it this week. Did it happen this week, or did and we I th- just I, now hear about it this week? I may be conflating this with some other event, but I almost want to say it happened in October, November. Right. Uh, one way or another, either yeah. 
either they had some inkling that that was going to happen or it had already happened. And yeah. I'm guessing that's why he resigned as Trump's you know, main lawyer. I mean, Trump has other lawyers, but yeah. this was the guy who was heading up all of it. Yeah, he, this is the, who was the uh, the guy that Trump used as his lawyer in the seventies? Was that this guy's dad, Cohen? Not Cohen. Cohen was the guy's name. Really close. Oh All shit, right. Roy I, Cohen. I, I, yes, is that him? You know who I'm talking? Yeah, they're not related. It's Cohen and I don't, Cohen, right? Yeah, I, they're not. They're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he I wants, mean, it's it's he, he had, wants his Roy Cohn. He needs a Roy Cohn. God damn it! Somebody get him a goddamn Roy Cohn because <laughs> <laughs> he should have proper representation. He's the fucking president. I hate the man, but he's at the helm of the ship and he needs help. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't want him to crash the ship while I'm on it. <laughs> Which you know is 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 interesting because remember when Dave Chappelle, right after Trump was elected, he came out and he said, you know, I hope that he does well because ultimately sure. we're all in this yeah you know what i'm saying we're all riding on the same plane and if he fucking puts it in a nose dive we're all fucked and he took so much heat for that it's I... well because most people can't keep the two thoughts in their head like i understand that there's definitely a part of me that when trump makes uh you know some ridiculous statement or some misstep or somebody goes after him there's a little sparkle of joy inside of me that that relishes the thought of this man being taken down. Absolutely. But his point remains that, yeah, ultimately, I don't wish for Trump to fail as bad as he could possibly fail because that, affects that would be... Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. 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 But isn't I mean, that, it's, it's really interesting, though, the psychology of that, because you, you sort of have indicated you have at least a twinge of remorse about having that joyous feeling at the thought that something bad is happening to Trump and his legacy and his administration. You at mm -hmm. least can admit to feeling bad about that. There are millions of people that do not feel bad about that at all. And well, it was the same thing with Obama. It's the same thing with Hillary. Right. You know, the people do, do not have that sense of, and that level, I guess, of self-awareness and self-insight. To know, you know, yeah, I feel that, but that's bad. People don't take that that's bad step. Because well, they're just in it for that emotional win. You yeah. know, I've picked a side, and my side's winning right now, and that's all that I care about. I, not <laughs> looking at things objectively and how they might directly affect your life. Right. Or, or the, possibly change the course of the country that you claim to love so much. It really is an ideological civil war at this point. Just we don't have any guns yet. We desperately want oh, yeah. the other side to not only fail but suffer, and we will gladly suffer the pain along with it because we just desperately need that win. But it, it, guns may not be uh, involved in this ideological civil war, but uh, social media might be a bigger weapon than, well, than yeah. uh, any gun you can get your hands on in the U.S. Well, uh, I don't think that the guns are far off. I've said that before, and I'm, I, I, I still firmly believe that. There may be a few years, maybe a decade, but it's yeah. coming. It has to come. It's going to get to the point where uh, people are not, no longer going to be able to stomach each other's survival. You sure that's not just Siri whispering civil war into your ear while you sleep? <laughs> I rolled that bitch on her belly. She ain't, <laughs> she, she ain't whispering nothing into my ear, at least not out of her mouth. <laughs> God, that creeped me out, man. 
I'm like, what the, who the hell's talking to me? <laughs> It's like a bad acid flashback. They said this wouldn't affect me years later. What the fuck? No, I just I keep hearing Chris a few weeks ago was talking about the phone listening to him. The thing just answered me. Yeah, I don't. It's it it, mind my iPhone did it to me too. It's what it's when we started talking about Syria. Yeah, yeah, Siri. She thinks that said Siri. Siri, Syria. It's not all about you, sweetheart. (laughs) Well, you know, it's uh, Todd. You're right, and. I just I keep going back to I just remember this with with Bush I remember this with Obama and now it's going yeah. out with Trump. People just don't care how many enemies they make as long as they just get to just go off on people online. Yeah. And I mean it does not matter that they are creating more opposition to their quote unquote stated goal. They don't care, and it's it, now it's to the point where. A lot of people that I see drop all pretense of even acting like they care. Yeah. Yeah. Like you they know, just I, they flat um, out say, I just want to piss them off. Fuck him. No, I, I don't care. I went through this. I went through this, man. When I, when I first got on social media and when I, even back before Facebook and all that, when I was doing the forums, like political forums and stuff, I, I tried to be as reasonable and as accommodating as I possibly could. And something happened. Yeah, I, I would kind of lose my cool here and there because I enjoyed it. But something happened, I think, around maybe 2010, 2011, where I got so sick and tired of the same conversations, the same debates, and the same stupid replies that I, I, I gave up on trying to have any sort of dialogue with anybody. And I figured, and this is, again, this is a long time ago. I'm not defending it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's what happened with me, that I took the track that I would rather you know, if you're not going to listen to reason and you're not going to try to base any of your conversations and your, your ideas in reality, I'm going to try to shame you and make you feel so stupid that maybe you'll go and look in the mirror and, you know, if, if reason isn't going to work, maybe shame will. And it didn't. It didn't do a goddamn thing. It did nothing. I was really good at it, but it did nothing other than force these other folks on the other side to dig their talons into their dirt into their ground and, you know, sort of ballast themselves even more. Well, and I, I think I th- that's good. Oh, I was going to say, I think that's why it was interesting with uh, Zuckerberg in front of Congress. Yeah. With the whole, basically, you know, it going, I understand you're going to have to regulate social media at some point. I've accepted that fact. I'm not even, I'm not even here to argue against it. And it's like, is that, is that what, it, is that what it's going to fucking take? Yes. Is it going well, yes. to take government intervention? Yes. Yes. Honestly, yes. 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 I, I, I think that uh, I, I think that he was bluffing. I think Zuckerberg was bluffing when he was talking about regulation. I, I because don't. I think it, he's more. I think he's more worried. He's he's given them that in hopes that they won't come after him and, and treat him like they did Microsoft back in the day, like he's a monopoly. Because it, uh-huh. when they start bringing that shit up. That motherfucker started stammering and stammering like a fucking you know fifteen year old yeah. that you just caught jerking off you know and I'm like oh yeah see that's where he's worried right and he you tried know, to he tried to go okay but well we own lots of of social media platforms but this is this is why I think that he's that it's a bluff because I didn't hear him or anyone questioning him and granted I didn't watch the whole thing I but I heard some highlights and and read stories about it and. I didn't hear any talk about what 
that regulation would look like? What would you regulate? What aspects of this business would you put under the purview of government? And to what end? To change it how? Nobody, nobody has any idea on how to regulate Facebook. So no, that's true. It, it, he's, he's calling, he's putting out a, a, a challenge to them. Like, go ahead, regulate me. See what happens. Right. Well, you know, and it, I, when it, you regulate my like ability the, to attract advertisers and I have to charge two ninety nine a month for all my users, let's see who gets voted out of office. He already floated that option, though. Yeah, that was part of the hearings this week. Was Actually, that he said, yeah, we may have to charge a subscription fee to this. R- right. Absolutely. And, and I think that was another tactic to say, look, yeah. we can go down this road if you want to, but... <laughs> Look, my man, popularity is higher than yours. <laughs> I have said this. I've said this for a few years now. I first floated the idea um, probably in 2011. Um, shortly, it was right around the time when one of these you know, spastic, um, I don't know, flurries of outrage over net neutrality came up, where I said yeah. that it, at some point, <clears throat> the Internet, not just Facebook, but the Internet itself is going to have to be regulated. It's not going to continue to be this Wild West orgy of disconnected, random pieces of information. It has to be regulated at some point because people, as we talked about maybe last week or the week before, people are flooded with too much stuff. And people have too little interest in deciphering fact from fiction. There has got to be a gatekeeper or we will tear ourselves to shreds. You can't have a conversation about tribalism and social media being the problem without having a conversation about what to do about it. The only thing to do about it, because people are so disinterested in truth, fact, and a simple basic reality, the only thing that can happen is you have got to have a gatekeeper put back in place, or else people will rip themselves up. They'll cannibalize each other. You've got a choice. You know, you can put this in the hands of the politicians. Politicians are people. They're corrupt, okay? They can be bought and they can be greased and all this, but at least in theory, that corruption can be fixed. Mm -hmm. The, The problem that we're having right now with people picking and choosing their boutique news and boutique information to fit their worldview and wage war on someone who thinks differently from them we, we, we're going to have a choice between dealing with that corruption or dealing with cannibalism. You see what I mean? And there is right. no alternative other than, yeah, Facebook is the you know, subject of choice this week because Zuckerberg was in front of Congress, but it's going to go beyond that. It has got to come to a point where the children have got to be disciplined. Yeah. That's what we are. We well, are think- children. The, the reason so many people bristle at the idea of, of government regulating internet or, or social <clears throat> media or anything like that is because it, you know, it should be this free and open place and exchange of ideas and blah, blah, blah. And in reality, I mean, if it's regulated like the government regulates anything else, there's only so much they can do, right? The government regulates markets. I mean, they, they regulate just about everything that's sold in the U.S., and yet we still have fucking Etsy accounts and drive for Uber and, and not pay taxes on shit and have all imp- these other little mini economies that we exchange goods on that are under system. the... Right. Yeah, it's, never it's, going, it's never going to be yeah. perfect, and there's always going to be little nooks and crannies in the Internet that you can go and hide in if you want to. I think what scares yeah. me more, more than any of the regulations that might come down is the fact that you got three of us sitting here who all pretty much value individual expression and at least the idea of freedom. Yeah. 
pretty much pretty very highly. Yet we're all sitting here going, we got to cancel that shit because America has proven time and time again it can't handle it. It's not America. It's people. Well, this isn't just a, this isn't a cultural thing. Well, here's the. I mean, Todd, I, 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 why I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be like the ugly American. I don't really give a fuck about the rest of the world at this point. No, fair enough. I don't either, to be honest. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm more worried about, I'm more worried about I the fact that, I'm that right I have, fr- I have friends who are stockpiling weapons, and then I have friends who are like on the other side, like thinking the anarchist cookbook is gonna, you know, help them defeat. The right wingers, and I'm like, if you try half that shit in that book, you're going to kill yourself. You realize that, right? That's the problem, and that is the problem. That right there is the problem because at some point, the people stockpiling the weapons and the people that are, you know, off in the shed putting together the recipe they found in the cookbook are going to want to use this shit. We cannot handle it. We cannot handle freedom. You know that you can go all the way back to Tacitus with uh, rise and fall of the Roman Empire. This book I'm reading right now, and they're talking about the filthy mob back then, two thousand years ago. You have got to be able to control. You have got to control these children. If you do not control the children, the children will tear your house to pieces. And this, this is not. I am a libertarian at heart. I want freedom. I want to be able to run free in the jungle. But we can't collectively, we do not have a sense enough of personal responsibility to handle that freedom without fuck harming ourselves. It's going to come to the point where our freedom ends at the point where it's corrosive to the rest of society. Yeah. Right? You're free to go out with swinging your arms around. And swinging your bald fist up until it strikes somebody else in the head. Then your freedom ends. If you take that up to a macro scale, that's where we're at. You're free to think what you want, say what you want, and you know consume all the information that you choose to consume until that irresponsibility and that lack of fundamental uh, commitment to truth, fact, and rationality does damage to society. And that's where we are. And that's, that's probably the trigger, what social media has triggered. It's gotten us past this, this, this point where we're not really able to connect to the degree that we can do that kind of damage. Now we can. So therefore, there has to be a gatekeeper put. We took it away. We fucked it up. It has to be put back in place. It has to. Or, or at least the, the people take some control over what they want from Facebook oh. or any social media. Because, okay. You know, the, yeah. the idea of paying for it is... It, luck. Well, look... <laughs> I have, I was, uh, there was a lady on NPR today that was talking about, uh, I guess she looked at total Facebook subscribers and their total gross income and just did the simple math on it and said if it, that it breaks down to somewhere in the neighborhood of like 35 cents per person mm-hmm. per month, right? So basically saying that Facebook wouldn't lose any money if they just nixed all the advertisement. And just charge thirty five cents, and it won't charge. Be. It'll be like charge a like, buck, right? Charge a buck and triple your profits, <laughs> and right. fucking stop using our data to manipulate people. Well, yeah, it, yeah. I don't know, man. I uh, and uh, you know, I maybe it will be a, a competitor that actually steps in and goes, "Look, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that." Like at some point somebody has to. Isn't that how all businesses work? Well, there's sure. a you know, McDonald's feeds you shitty fries and shitty burgers forever and then all of a sudden Burger King says, oh, "Wait a minute, we're going to do something different. We're going to have real burgers and real fries." And you go, "Oh, okay, that's what I want." And McDonald's goes, oh, "That's what they want." Oh, okay. Well, they the want meantime, organic. Your arteries okay. continue to clog anyway. 
Right, it's all the same shit anyway, <laughs> right? Hey. Yeah. Well, but but yeah, some some platform will come in and say we're not going to advertise to you, we're not going to use your data, and we're just going to charge you a dollar a month, and they're going to be filthy rich. And there already is, there is. I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there's a, I guess, an alternative to Twitter, basically a. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's like it. It 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 it's for it, it looks like Twitter. It apes a lot of what Twitter does. Yeah. The problem is, is that it's been pretty much overrun by the people to the far right who've been kicked off Twitter. Oh, okay. They go there, <laughs> you know, and it's like the you know it's like the Wild West over there. But then it becomes right because it's not it's not an attractive option. It's an option of last resort. Yeah, and it's the antithesis of Twitter. Whereas Twitter might c- crack down on white nationalist or you know extreme. Extreme far right, alt right, whatever you want to call it. You know, I I stuck my toe in the, in the water of this thing and 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 was bouncing around in there for about an hour. And man, I I didn't even I didn't even bother to fucking sign up because I knew I was like they I I'd get ripped apart instantly. I'm too I'm too far to this to the left yeah. for them. And it, and the thing is, is that I'm not even all that far to the left, really. It's just they're so far to the right. I look like I'm way over there when yeah. I'm really just a little bit left to center. You're fucking centrist. Yeah, I know. I, isn't that wonderful how that has become? Yeah, you know what? Fuck it. That's exactly it. That's that. that that's exactly it. That that cartoon. I'm like, yep. That that's exactly beautiful. how it is. That's exactly that was, how it is. It was beautiful. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it right now because just to describe for the listeners real quick, it's famous moments in history reimagined by centrists. I'll put it up and, on the Facebook page. Yeah, and so there's a uh, there's a guy who I don't know, seems to be addressing Hitler, I guess, and he says, "I don't agree with what you say, but I will depend I will defend your to the death your right to say it." Right? That's a centrist. That's a dangerous centrist because yeah. there was a because we've all, we all advocated that- for killing Jews based <laughs> simply on their religion, right? Right. That's okay. People say a lot of shit they don't do. Hitler actually backed up his words, and that was the problem. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> if I kill as many people as as I kill, if I kill as many people as I threaten to kill behind the wheel of a car, I would be a mass murderer right. on Hitler's scale. Right. 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 You know, <laughs> the only so, way that would have been accurate is if they would have put a picture of Richard Spencer in place of Hitler. Right. You know, then you've got you're not being hyperbolic at least. Yeah. So the next panel is a, a looks like the same dude holding up a science's compromise in between the Ku Klux Klan and uh, probably a Black Lives Matter rally. And uh, yeah, the, on the on the black side it says we want civil rights. On the other side it says we want to kill black people. Um, <laughs> there's a anti-war rally where the the centrist is showing up with the science's reasonable amount of wars. Isn't that a reality? Like, yes. Um, World peace is a goal that that we should strive for. That's a wonderful thing. But... What is it you said Brian Eno said? Here's here's where we live right now. What is it you said Brian Eno said? Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and finally, he's uh, about to be beheaded by a guillotine, so I'm assuming he's in France. And he says, I don't really care about politics. Now... That's the only one that stuck with me. That's the only one that rings true. But I don't see how that's being a centrist 
or has anything to do with the other three panels on it. So that, that's where <laughs> I, I kind of lost me. You, how, can you be, how can you say, I don't care about politics and be classified as centrist? I don't say... If, <laughs> you, don't care, if you don't care about politics, you're apolitical. Therefore, you're not in the middle of anything. Right. So I think they kind of <laughs> shat, they shat they on their own yeah. point on the final panel on this one. Right. Yeah, well. shittily drawn. Well, yeah. I, I just... I, I, <laughs> it's bad art <laughs> on top of it. You know, I, I really love this notion that somehow in this idea that's being it's being pushed that libertarian means it's a it's a it's god i hate this phrase but it's going to be one that it's not going anywhere it's a dog whistle term for racism libertarian is it's it's a way of saying i'm racist but without saying it that's just stupid and but there's so many people that buy into it well they're stupid too then and I'm like, do you not understand that when I can't speak for everybody that 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 is a supporter of the Second Amendment, I can only speak for myself, and if, and a few friends who I've had this conversation with who agree with me. When the Black Panthers armed themselves, mm-hmm. they absolutely were within their rights to do so. I'm not scared of that. That doesn't scare me. I don't care that they may be fuck whitey, fuck the white man. That's fine. There's a lot of people running around. With 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 fucking weapons going. Tell me when, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's yeah. nut bags all over the place. But but that part of supporting people's rights and freedom gets buried in the fucking narrative because it doesn't fit the the agenda that's being pushed. Right. And that's what irritates me. I look the na- nation of Islam are black nationalists. They are literally the photo negative of someone like Richard Spencer. They call for exile of white people in certain neighborhoods, black-owned everything, isolationism, separate, but equal. Segregationists. Yes, segregationists. And they have every right to feel that fucking way. And if they, if they choose to, if, if there's an area of the country that they can find and it's just populated by people who who are like-minded, as long as they're not running people out, they have every right to do that. I don't, I, I, right. and they have every right it's, to believe what they want, but that's never fucking talked about. It's no, you just want you want to support the Klan, you want to support neo Nazis. Why? Because I, because if as long as they're not inciting violence and calling for for people to be killed, if they're preaching segregation, then then right. I, what? I should what? I should go over there and, and put and 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 borrow mommy's handkerchief and put it on my face and then fucking swing a fucking bike lock at him? No. Just like I don't do that with the fucking nation of Islam. Just like I don't do that with the Hoteps, the one percent or the five percenters, the uh, you know the 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 Moors who you know we're, we're we're sovereign we're sovereign people and all this shit. We don't pay taxes and blah 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 and all this good shit. Everybody's got all all the right in the world as long as they're not breaking the law to believe and espouse anything they fucking want. Certainly, that is the message that gets lost in all this, and that's what irritates the shit out of me. And this is where it's like the left leaning media. You can't, I, if, if you are, unless you are just brainwashed or you're being willfully obtuse, there's no way you can't see that the media definitely is slanted towards the left and definitely pushes this fucking, this idea of dog whistle racism and libertarian as part of it. I mean, basically, I've, I've seen in the last six months a lot of, a lot of, uh, websites and Facebook pages, social media pages calling libertarians the, 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 uh, 
the veneer for the alt-right. You know what I'm saying? Libertarians? Yes, libertarians, yes. I don't understand this. You know, it's like, and, and, you know, how... The libertarian, like well, libertarian, is the is the first step down this down the slippery slope to being a white nationalist, alt right, Vox Day type guy. And I'm like, sure, and and God's a gateway drug, right? I right. have got, I have got no no mental space for that. I have yeah. no cognitive energy to even you know, debate that idiocy. I I wanted to mention too. Uh, there's a, in this cartoon, there's a, it actually contradicts itself between these two panels. The first one being the man talking to Hitler and saying he'll defend to death the, his right to say what he wants. And then the man underneath that in the third panel saying reasonable amount of wars, right? Can't, you can't have that both ways. Like you're saying that this centrist is wrong because he's accepting Hitler espousing hate, right? And that something needs to be done about that. Like what? What would you do about that? How would you overthrow a leader of another country? You've got to decide to go to war. So now you have what you consider to be a reasonable amount of wars, the ones that need to be fought. Right. So you can't have it both ways. <laughs> this- I think I think a lot of the the issue that a lot of people who are are saying libertarianism is a slippery slope into fascism or whatever you want to call it. This is fascism. This this cartoon is fascism. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know. And I get into arguments with people every once in a while. I try to explain to them. I go, look, fascist tactics aren't limited to fascist. The, sure. Just because the ta- just because fascists are well known to use these tactics, anybody can use the same tactics and 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 pretty it up with a different name. Sure. I Trump mean, uses fascist tactics. I wouldn't define him as a fascist, though. I, you know, I, I, Trump. Oh, he's yeah, he's pretty damn close to it. Well, how he, do you do, how, how would you how do you guys? This is this is something that I, 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 I let I me clarify. His government. He's not running a fascist government. He may have fascist ideals himself, but he's not running that a he's, fascist government thanks to checks and balances at this point. Right. Yes. No, he well, hasn't completely remade, you know, the, the the governmental system. How do you guys define fascism? You know, this is something that I, I I'm being a little unfair here because it's a really murky term, and this goes all the way back to George Orwell. Uh, I think in like 1947, after the war, he was like, fascism is a term that's thrown around, and it, the the only thing it means now is that which we find undesirable. You know, fascism is thrown around pretty cavalierly by a oh, lot definitely. of people. That, have no idea what the fuck it even means. It has a meaning. It's a well, far I, right-wing ideology. It's an authoritarian ideology. Uh-huh. And it uses, um, deifies the military, law enforcement, militarism, nationalism. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the commonality between Hitler and Mussolini was restoring the glory of the past. Make America great again. You know, th- well, it right, has a I, meaning. I've always considered, like, the, the defining characteristic of fascism for me is, uh, is, uh, using, using a, some sort of police force to basically control the actions and thoughts of the citizens. How do you distinguish for, between for authoritarianism? Using that definition, then, how do you distinguish between authoritarianism and fascism? Because that's an authoritarian tactic. Okay. But doesn't that uh, go back to its their flip sides of the same coin? I mean, communism, the way it was practiced through most of the 20th century, was 
authoritarian, totalitarian regimes. So mm-hmm. was Mussolini's fucking Italy. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's what, I, that's what I try to look at these people who are on the far sides of things. And I'm like, do you people not see that the people in the middle don't want to go too far down either of these roads? Cause we've it's seen exactly where it right. leads. Exactly right. It's exactly it's, right. So we're just, trying me, to, 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 to put some balance here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let, let me wipe up my, my drool off my chin here as far as the fascism <laughs> definition goes. Because I, I not only you guys, but you know the tens of thousands of unregimented listeners we have, I would encourage you to <laughs> We're growing about, by the week. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear. Uh, encourage how you define the word fascism and think about it. Sort yeah. of examine how you, even, if, if you even know what that word means. Or if you're confusing it with another idea like authoritarianism. I'm not saying you're doing that, Aaron. But I think that we, it's, it's one of those words in, this, in the language that it has a really loose definition as people use it. I don't think people right. know what the word means half the time. When, you know, I've, I've heard people call liberals commie fascists. The two things are diametrically opposed. <laughs> right. It's like calling someone a black honky. <laughs> Cracker ass Negro. Yeah, it's the same. You sound like a fucking buffoon if you call someone a fascist commie. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You should shut up. Really, Dugger, Dunning Kruger, man, you don't know you're stupid, <coughs> right? So I, I just, I, I would like to. Maybe this is something that the three of us maybe we should do next week. Is kind of like do do a little homework assignment and come up with three personal definitions of fascism for next week and see how they how they meld together. Do it independently. Okay. Don't don't uh, you know not don't collaborate on this. Sure. Let's see what we each come up with because I think it would be really interesting to see how they differ. Yeah, I'm game. Yeah, it's but you know my understanding. I go back to Orwell. I use Orwell because he actually fought fascism in Spain. He saw fascists. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and he's the guy that I sort of go to with this. And, uh, yeah, I think he's right. I think a lot of people throw that word around just as a blanket statement and a blanket term for that, which I disagree with without knowing what it means. Well, to, to back up just for a sec, I think one of the, the issues that, the, once again, the people who think libertarianism is a slippery slope into whatever – um, yeah. I think a lot of the, the problem is, is that, and this is just an observation. I don't really see like well-known, well-branded, outspoken, quote unquote, leaders on the left when it comes to their movements. Who's, who's the de facto leader of Black Lives Matter? <sighs> Apparently some guy in Australia with a Facebook page. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what, I, I really want to get to that, but you know, I, 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 you know, we'll work up to it. But I mean, I'm being dead serious. I mean, if you, if, if I ask you, you know, on the right, who are some of the leaders of the, the, the think tank on the right? I mean, yeah. I can, now I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that these guys are good at it. I'm just saying they're well known. You have Milo Yiannopoulos, you have Gavin McInnes, right. you have, now this they one cracks me up. Yeah. <laughs> you have oh, David Hogg, I guess, if you're asking on the left, who's the de facto leader, I would, I would throw David Hogg in there, I, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, I, I agree with you that he's quickly approaching demagogue status, so, yeah, I, yeah through, through default, I guess he would be. But I mean, like, you know, on the right, you have academics, 
You have people who five, ten years ago would be described as liberal. People like Jordan Peterson, Eric Weinstein, or Weinstein, who, if you look at the political compass, are very much to the left on a lot of issues, but they have one or two beliefs that fall along centrist or maybe a little right of center, and so they get lumped in with right. their alt-right. They say they want a secure border, and they're like, oh, it- Yep, yep, you oh you hate immigrants. Typical. I mean that's yeah. that was the infamous that was the infamous video of Jordan Peterson being interviewed over in in uh by the BBC was you know, they ask a question, he'd answer and they go, Oh, so what you're saying is and he goes, No, that's what you're saying. What I said is exactly what I said, which was and he'd repeat himself, Oh, so what you're saying is and it's like that's the there's really no there's the who who do you have on the left? You have I'll give you David Hogg. But what? A bunch of fucking people? Like, are you are you talking? To, are you looking for like avatars and figureheads of specific? I mean, is Oprah, is Oprah is Oprah leader of the left? Is is anyone in Hollywood? Is anyone on the View? Is, you know who comes to mind is uh, people Rachel like, Maddow. Uh, yeah, Rachel Maddow. I think I think you could look at her. Uh, I think Katrina Vanderhoeven. I think her name is the the woman from the Nation. She came okay. to mind immediately when you uh, started mentioning that. Um, who else is there? Bill well, Bill Maher is more of a centrist now. He's not really. I would. I don't even consider him liberal. He considers himself liberal. He's more of a libertarian to me. Right. Um, who else is there? Oh, so this is a good exercise. Well, I mean, if you look at the Me Too movement for a minute, there you had Rose uh, McGowan and Ashley Judd. But I mean, I don't know if it's because they were unstable to begin with, or <laughs> yeah. if what they went through made them <laughs> unstable. But man, they come unraveled quickly, and social media was not friendly to them for that. Right? Like they Bernie's, did more to hurt their own cause than than anybody attacking them did. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, I guess they're politicians. But right. I, I I definitely think that Bernie Sanders is a he's far and away in the last couple of years. I think he's become the de facto leader or at least symbol figure of the the far left. Yeah, I mean, I can see it because Hillary was just another, you know, Hillary's, career politician. She's right? irrelevant now. The only thing relevant about but Hillary is her shriveled ask, vagina. It's the shriveled vagina. That's it. It's the only reason that she is a, even a thing today. It, the the problem with the I, I'm not disagreeing with any of the the people that you mentioned, Todd, but I can I, I'm remembering examples of people on the left trying to tear them down for something that they said one time. Well, yeah, yeah, cannibalizing. It's it's like even if a, a leader arises, they're, they're not far enough th- to the left. <laughs> they're not going to fo- the people the the people on the far left are not going to follow them. Sounds like a, a group I'm a member of on Facebook. It's it, the group is literally just there to tag, right. and it's called. Sounds like the left is eating itself, but okay, you know. And it's it's literally anytime I see some perfect example. Uh, was it you, Todd, who sent it to us in the group chat about? At the gay pride parade, they're no longer going to have drag queens because it might offend transgendered people. <laughs> I did not see that. I wish I had. That was not me. Okay. Okay. This is this is like when you get a fortune cookie, fortune, and you, and you just you're supposed to add in bed after it every time. <laughs> like this is your standard response every time somebody posts a news story to your, your Facebook page. That's your standard response. This looks like the left eating itself, but okay. <laughs> well, I <laughs> just mean, add that on. You know, it, it, I, I go back to you know you had the the pride parade in Toronto, mm. and Black Lives Matter came out. And marched straight through the middle of the parade and broke up the pride parade. 
The Pride Parade, by the way, that had all the permits, had Justin Thoreau there, had the blessing of, of the, you know, the legal blessing to be there. This faceless organization who really doesn't have, if they have a leader, who the fuck is it? And why don't we know them by name? Well, here's, here's okay, let, let, me, let me throw this at you. This just popped into my, it's a, an idea that I've been bat, batting around in a different context, but maybe the reason the left doesn't have any leaders and doesn't have any sort of avatars, doesn't have that symbol figure like the right does, is maybe the left is too busy babbling. Maybe they're too busy up on their soapbox yelling in order, rather than having enough left over to listen to anyone else, to follow anyone. Everyone on the left thinks they're their leader. That's what I'm getting at. And, and right. you, when they asked the Black Lives Matter, a, a few spokespeople from that the crowd that marched through the Pride Parade, why they did it, they said, because traditionally gay and lesbians have uh, excluded people of color and blah, 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 and they need to recognize our struggle and this and that. And it's like, yeah. you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Right. Well, we, we like to think of like true leaders, especially you know presidential leaders in this country, of being these you know, self-motivated, driven people who have this plan that they that they want to execute for the greater good of our country, and that's that's not how it works, really. Oh, well, you, we you just, have I mean, to you have to have a you know, Obama didn't just form his idea of government and then carry that throughout his career until it it came true. He saw groups of people that he could you know be the spearhead of. It's a coalition building. Right. So, and, and until you have coalitions like that ready to be, you know. <laughs> we, have, we have countless numbers. It's called identity politics. So where are the people that are bringing them together? The people don't want to be brought together because they're too busy yelling and screaming from their soapboxes. Right. See, I, I've been saying for, way, for, for a long time now that the people on the far left are the people who, who like when, when people go, oh, the, you know, the millennials. Oh, they're the participation trophy generation. Yeah. I, I don't I know. The older I get, I'm like, I don't see all that whole generation as that, but I do see a lot of people on the far left from that generation as that. Right. And right. here's the thing. Whereas we were, at least I was, brought up to compete to win, and we look at them and they go, oh, yeah, they're just happy to, to get a participation trophy. No, 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 no. They compete to lose, to be the biggest victim. And they fight viciously and dirty and shit on their own fucking people and people who would be allies mm-hmm. just to get one notch higher on the victimhood totem pole. They're not, it's not that they're lazy and they don't compete. They just compete in a race to the bottom and they love it like what? that. And I, remember when we had Monique on? Yeah. First semester of college, she talks to me. I'm like, so how's, how's school going? She goes, I can't believe all these. Everybody's just a victim in college. I'm like, did you, did anybody survive anything? Did anybody persevere over anything? Did, did you see the the recent controversy over uh, Tony Robbins that came out this week? Mr. Big Teeth? No. He so at one of his uh, whatever you want to call it seminars, rallies, uh, cult gatherings. Yes. A woman stood up and challenged him on not doing enough for uh, the Me Too movement. And, you know, if he really cares about women, he should be using his power to, to, to further this cause. And, and 
he came right back at her and was like, you know, I don't, I don't have this quotes in front of me, but his basic point was that, okay, yes, we're talking about men who did horrible things and probably deserve to be taken down because of that. But what is this movement doing for you as a woman? You're tearing people down. How does that lift you up? It doesn't automatically lift you up just by tearing other people down. I think it's the first time I've ever heard him say anything that I agree with. Ditto. No, I'm with you because he's, you know. Uh, he's he's, he's a self-help douchebag. He's kind of a kook. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to walk on fire. That's right. It, you know. Hashtag fleecing the fucktards. Well, it's you know, the, but it's the, it's an uncomfortable question to throw out there to someone who is accusing you of not using your privilege to lift up other people who are oppressed and, and all this <laughs> and go, well, what the fuck is it doing for you? Well, how is your life better by any of this? It's like everybody it, in the country is singing the Janet Jackson chorus. You know, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it really, it really is. It really is. I mean, one of the things that I just, I, I, you know, the, this isn't a sports podcast. That's Sporgy and the Pizza Man podcast, available on ChristopherMedia.net as well. But, um, well, you know, there was a story about a, uh, I know that's my one plug for the year. I had to do it because Chris wasn't here. Um, you know, there, there was a story about a junior hockey team whose bus got wiped out yeah, so, and half the yeah, hockey team yeah, were killed. Canada, yes. And I mean, like, the majority of the ones that survived are fucked for life, paralyzed. You know, I yeah. mean, they were identifying body parts, not bodies, yeah. parts. That's how bad this accident was. And out, you know, and the way those teams work in Canada, first of all, look how big Canada is. There's only 37 million people there. These kids at 14, 15, if they show promise in, in hockey, their family sends them to live with billet families in the towns where they're, where they're, the, the, the teams are based. Okay. And a bit, well, a billet family. That's a specific term for like. Yeah, you, what, Todd, a, you were hockey you were, family. Well, no, Todd, you know what you know what you know what a billet is. You were in the military. Yeah, yeah. It's where but you go live you with live, people. They they do they do this with minor them. league baseball players here in the yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. you go live with a family. You play your sport, and they they basically put you up and house you. And this okay. town was a town of forty eight hundred people. Yeah. And so I mean, this was a big thing. This was the whole town was built around. They support this team. I'm sure a lot of the economy, et cetera, et cetera. So for this town to take a hit like that, people started giving money. And they've raised about roughly a little bit over $7 million. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's nice and everything, but let's be honest here. I'm sure most of them people, I'm sure almost every one of those people would rather have their sons, teammates, friends walk through the door than have money instead. Sure. You wouldn't know it to go look at social media because here come the fucking vultures to pick at the bones of these dead fucking these dead players who, by the way, were the same people telling us that we can't criticize anyone from Florida who survived the shooting because they're children. And uh -huh. these people all were ranged in age from 15 to 20. Right, so right. for the most part, they're children. And they come out and said it's only because of. Uh, maleness and whiteness and privilege mm. that Fuck. this right. money's been given to these people. You know, what about the indigenous people, the First Nation people? What about people of color? And I'm like, 
What, are you fucking serious? This is how low we've gotten. We just, we just spent over a month and a half shaming anyone who dared to say, maybe David Hogg should, you know, I don't know, read up a little bit on the subject before he goes out there talking about it. Because right. he, he, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. You can't even say that. You have to lose your sponsors. You have to lose your job. You have to whatever. You have to be punished because you didn't go along with the groupthink. Now these exact same people are attacking not just the memory of these kids and the survivors, but the people who are trying to help them and going, well, you're not doing enough for people of color. You're not doing enough for, for, for indigenous people. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Really? Really? And this is, it's never good enough. It's the left's favorite game. You can never win. And they love to play it. And this is why I honestly, I, the amount of women I talk to these days who go, oh, don't call me a feminist. I'm kind of yeah. shocked at. Yeah, I've heard I that am shocked several times. Several times. I, 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 I had the same reaction. That I've talked to a lot of uh, my girlfriend's friends and uh, family members of hers, I guess, back at the, su the Super Bowl party. We were sitting there. Some woman I had never met, she was probably in her, her mid-30s, and she was ashamed of the, the term feminism. You know, this is why I, I keep coming back to this thing where I say, um, you know, the Democrats are going to have a party in November. They're going to have a good midterm election, just like the Tea Party did in 2010. Stock yeah. up on those antidepressants for 2020. You're going to need them because the, that's that's the this the, the backlash that I keep talking about. It's not just men. It's not just us four. It's uh, I th I think it's infecting the vein of the entire body politic. Yeah. Well, you know, my, yeah, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rich. I, I just want, I, my, you know, my grandmother, first woman in the history of State Farm to do the job she did. She would go to parts of Detroit that men refused to go to. Did it for 40 years and retired. And considered herself very much a feminist. Like, she started this job. Yeah. She retired in 98, so that's, what, 58 she started the job? Think about Man. that. That's, that's pre-Mad Men time. And she's right. in a male-dominated field doing the job and going to areas. Men are like, I ain't going to that fucking part of Detroit. You kidding me? I ain't dealing with fucking collision shops down there and ride down there in the middle of the fucking night by myself and, and, and do an adjustment. I'm not doing that shit. Mm -hmm. And she did. And... You know, a few years after she retired, she said something to me. We we're sitting, you know, I was visiting with her, and she goes, it makes me sick that I fought and put up with as much shit as I did for 40 years to make headroom for women who came after me, and now these, these feminists take the worst traits of men, and that's all, that's, 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 everything that, that made me despise men is, is the traits that they fucking hold up as virtuous now. Well, I, I saw for, a for quote, themselves, not for, for themselves. Men. Yes, yes. Right. yeah, right I, saw, right. I saw a quote that actually articulated that really well. It's that equality today, the term equality, basically means sexism and racism done, done backwards. Right, right. And I thought I, when I read that, I just I almost screamed to the heavens, "Thank you." That's exactly what's happening. They don't want equality. They want the right to act like they perceive that men have always acted. They want their revenge now. They want that position of oppression. And see, that's, that's, it's very apparent. The first time I ran into this, seeing it anywhere, was, believe it or not, the very first season of The Real World in 1992. <laughs> I remember Julie, the hick chick, the token, the token southern white oh, yeah, chick, I remember. Uh, talking to Kevin, the, uh -huh. you know, the, the black power writer and all this, and they got an argument because he was talking about how she, her very existence oppresses him. 
and and she has power over me. And, he, and she's going, what power do I have over you? What can I make you do? I can't even beat you up if I want to. You could literally kick my ass. What power do I have over you? And he goes, race plus privilege equals power and racism. That's why you can be racist and I can't because I don't have privilege and power. And I, it was the first time I someone I'd ever heard someone articulate and and yeah. redefine the term racism to exclude and excuse their racism right. Right. <laughs> and put it all at the feet of somebody else. Because racism to me growing up was, the, the very definition was, you believe that one race is inherently genetically superior, morally superior to another uh-huh. just by virtue of their race. Right, right. That was, that was, that was racism, the definition when I grew up. It's and it still is the definition. <laughs> it, there's the a lot definition. of like, it, the I think, definition I th- hasn't changed, regardless of how people interpret the word. I, I'm just going to say, I, guess. I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate your your uh, 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 positivity on this, but I, <laughs> I, I think the jury's still out. I think there's a fight going on, and it's being fought in the media. And every time you read something like dog whistle racism, problematic. Uh, privilege, toxic, insert whatever. Yeah, that is people trying to Change rewire your brain to yeah. think of racism in this new way that that they've defined it. It's the, it's goalpost moving. We have yeah. words and we have definitions. They do mean things for a reason. Well, it's you know I got into an, I got into a discussion with a guy online because he was like you know you're a cis white male and I said first of all stop using made up words. He goes, what? what? What's, what's a made-up word? I'm like, cis. It, it's a bullshit term that has no basis in Latin, no root in Greek, in nothing. It is literally a gender studies professor in the late 90s said, I think it's, a, it's derogative for someone to refer to a homosexual as a homosexual and a straight person as a straight person or a heterosexual. So you're cis now. What does that even mean? Right. It's a made-up fucking word, Don. What does it mean? What does it mean? Oh, it means you're straight. You're straight, and you and you are comfortable in the gender you were assigned at birth. Right. Signed. Well, it, I was not assigned. assigned a penis. I was not assigned this penis. <laughs> I the think, doc, the doc come if I say, did, I want to return. Give me the receipt. Doc, I, I want to return it. This penis. I, I I assign you this penis. I will staple it to your <laughs> groinal area at this moment in time. No, that did not happen. Sorry, well, I was not assigned. I it. <laughs> the uh, the need for a term like cis comes from uh, an, a, a a need for something other than saying normal, right? <clears throat> if you're going to classify these people as as homosexual, and that just leaves everyone else to be under the normal classification, what's the what's the percentage of the population that's gay again? Um, I don't know. Like 4%, 4%, to, is there a billboard somewhere tallying it up? <laughs> so, it, yeah, actually, they've they done studies like this. You see it thrown, well, 4% of the population is being oppressed. So, yeah, it's out there in the, in the, in the conversation at some point. Okay. So that means 96% of the country is straight. You'd never know it to, to look at pop culture. Whatever. I'm just saying. It, I'm just saying. We're all if, gay. if 96 out of 100 people have a certain trait, that is considered normal. You know, it just reminds me of a meme I saw that it, it was it was making fun of the quote unquote right or the, how the right has thinks that, that there's a gay agenda out there. Mm-hmm. 
and it was a picture of a of a baby and a dog, and it, baby looks at the dog and says, "You know that uh, one in three people are gay, right?" And dog looks at the one baby and three. goes, "I'm not gay." And the baby goes, "I'm not gay either." And then they turn and look at the they break the fourth wall and look at you, and the dog's kind of got his head tilted. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, well, it, eh, kind of process of elimination here. I guess dicks on the menu for you. But I'm no, sorry. I, I just don't, I don't have a problem with saying 96 percent, a, a trait that 96 percent of the population, the human population shares is being normal. That doesn't mean that I'm calling gay people weird. It doesn't mean that I'm calling them defective. They're not in the norm. See, my 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 issue with these made up words is it's not that the terms that, that we used before were outdated or offensive. It's that it's the arrogance of the younger generation going, we don't want to use your dad terms for this. Right. What is non-binary if not androgynous? <laughs> well, okay. What is gender fluid if not androgynous? I, I, I can't let you slide on the term made up words because all words are made up, right? <laughs> And they're all born out of out of necessity to identify something. But but it, the the problem with these new terms that you're taking exception to is that they arise out of the necessity for describing something that we've, we used to have words to describe, but we've blown up the the definition of those words. That's why we're coming up with these new words. But the very people muddying the waters and the definitions of these words are doing it yes. so they can fist fuck their new bullshit terms into the fucking pop culture vernacular. And fuck them. There's no reason. It's not like retard versus mentally handicapped or whatever the fuck. It's not like Negro versus right. black or African American. This is, well, there is nothing inherently wrong, oppressive, uh, homophobic about the words it's, homosexual and heterosexual. It's not, not slander. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing offensive or or inherently homophobic or racist or anything about any words. Right? It's well, all context. It's all how they're used. And it's all who's using those words. It's like I tried to explain to a friend of mine who has had a very sheltered life. I didn't realize it until about five years ago how sheltered they had actually been. They were like, "Is Jew?" Is Jew a derogatory term? I said it all depends on how you say it. Right. If like my buddy Perchikov, you know, uh, what, what, what is he's a Jew? Jew. You know. Right. Now if I'm like, uh, he's a Jew. That right. that yeah, you know what I'm saying like and he goes, well, oh, "Oh, I just thought it was I just thought it was all bad." And I'm like, "No, it's just a no, shortened right. version of Jewish." But, but you had to use it as, as an example, retarded versus mentally handicapped, right? But mm -hmm. that's that's a perfect example of what you're now describing with uh, with cisgender versus normal, and it's, it's bullshit because, because no, retarded. Look, 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 well, hold on, retarded. There's nothing wrong with the word retarded. It has a, it has a specific meaning. We used to describe people that had a, a, a that are slow as retarded, which is the definition right, not, of the word. Not a specific aff affliction, but just you know, it was, it was a more general term. Of course, this is a term that originated when we didn't have a lot of science to back these things up anyway. But we have since used the word to describe anything that we just don't like. And so now it's hard to describe your, you know, 
your your phone is retarded and and still have that be a viable term to apply to a person with a mental handicap. So now we need a new word. We ruined, we blew out the definition of the word retarded. <laughs> hey, Siri, right? I'm just totally, picturing us opening totally so hard it. we blew it out. Yes. We collectively gang fucked that the term retarded until it lost all of its meaning and uh, now it wasn't appropriate to refer to people as. Did you just oh, ask yeah. Siri if she's retarded? Yeah. Hey Siri. <laughs> Are you retarded? After all I've done for you? <laughs> see, it's That's inherently a, in, offensive. See, yeah, no. it is. That's a, see, this <laughs> is why I don't have Siri or Alexa. Because if I wanted a bitchy, smart-ass cunt to fucking talk shit to me, I'd just get in a relationship. I mean, what the fuck? You guys ever, ever watch the... Uh, like, you know, like, wait, first of all, what, Siri? You set my alarm? Like, if you're not retarded, you're one step above, okay? <laughs> I was watching, do you guys ever watch the, uh, you know, those, those networks that have, like, the really old TV shows on them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, MeTV. There's this old uh, yeah. talk show. I forget the guy's name. Uh, I, I'm drawing a complete blank on the guy's name, but he had a really popular talk show in the late 60s, early 70s, and he had the old Brooklyn Dodgers on there and had, like, five of them. And one of the guys was a pitcher, uh, had a decent career, uh, got out of baseball, and got involved, and this is like 1968, okay, got involved with the Special Olympics like right at the beginning of it. And they were coming on to actually start to sort of promote this idea of the Special Olympics because, and he got involved with it because his son was born, in his words, retarded. He used the word retarded on this television show from 1968 probably 10 times in describing the kids that he was trying to advocate for. Right. And I sat here and I'm watching this and it, it, it made me cringe a little bit because it was, I didn't want to cringe, <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's like yeah. the, the term has been sort of subconsciously demonized when 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't. It was just a word to describe the mentally handicapped. You know, George Carlin has a great bit he did, I think, in the early 90s about euphemisms. You know, it's, it's like shell shock has turned into post-traumatic stress disorder. It yes. takes the meaning and the emotion out of the words and sort of sanitizes it. Seek and destroy is now sweep and clear. Yeah. Friend, right. Friendly fire is blue on blue contact. Doesn't it sound so much better, blue on blue contact? It's not toilet paper. It's bathroom tissue. <laughs> no, it's wadded up dead fucking trees I'm right. stuffing in my ass, okay? That's what yeah, but just to hear the guy, I mean, it was more direct, raw language. It meant something. The words had meaning. Well, and, and look, it's, it's okay. I, don't, I, I honestly don't think in my entire life, maybe when I was a kid and I'm just not remembering it, that I ever ran into anyone who had any type of, you know, mental incapacity like, legit, and said, you're a fucking retard. I never have done it's, that in my life. It's, Why would you? Right. And, but, you know, I can't say, when, like, if I was five, well, and I didn't, you know, the kid might have had Asperger's or something, I've been, like, fucking retard. I didn't know. You know, but I did, would never with the intent. It's the, same, no. it's the same way with faggot. Like, people are like, oh, you still use that word? I'm like, am I yeah, talking about homosexual? Am I talking about homosexual? No. Okay. Can we agree that words have more than one meaning? Yeah, I ref I refuse to give up the word fag. I refuse. It's a beautiful word. It's the it's a it's good a and versatile word. Yeah, it is. I it's mean, a it, great word to f to throw at your buddies to have some I've, fun with your pals. 
I have never used it in actual hate. Neither have I, I. I. I did tell Corey. I was like, Corey asked me one time. He goes, "Do you ever wish you were gay?" And I'm like, one time I worked with a guy who was an obnoxious, I mean obnoxious, over-the-top gay guy. And I wish I was gay for five seconds so I could go, faggot, would you shut your fucking mouth? And then I'd be like, boom, I'm straight again. Okay. <sighs> Sorry. Right. Had to come out. You know, and he started laughing. He goes, he goes, see, but that's what I'm saying. You don't use that word. Because Corey, you know, growing up, if he was called a fag, it really pissed him off. Right. Now, when I say well, it, if you can prove in court that you have at least three gay friends, you can get a special license to use the term. No, I agree. I, I like Doug Stanhope's answer. He's I like, look, he goes, I'll be using. He goes, I will be using the word faggot tonight. And he said this in New York in 2007. He goes, I'll be using the word faggot tonight. And if any gay person has a problem with it, come up to me after the show and I'll suck your dick. I won't be wicked into it. I won't make eye contact. I'll be like, ew, ew. But just to prove to you I'm not homophobic, I will suck your dick. But the trade-off is I get to keep using the word faggot. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, you know, he's like, I've said this for fucking 10 it's years. It's not that important to me. <laughs> and I've never had anyone take me up on my offer. So I guess I'm okay in the gay community. <laughs> <laughs> I will give up I will give up the word faggot when gay people give up the word breeder. You know, honestly, it, we were <laughs> Corey and I cuz we're if everything goes well, we'll be starting a, a new show here uh this weekend and I was like, so what are you going to use as a derogatory term for straight people, breeder? And he goes, "Oh my god, you are old. No one calls <laughs> you breeders anymore." Yeah. They just call you sis. And I'm like, "See? You just told me yourself. It's a if it's a pejorative term." You use it as right. a slur. Yeah. And he's like, well, of course. And I'm like, <gasps> well, so what, so what am I, what, what, you know, what are we going to say? Like, if I say something like, oh, that chick had a fat ass, you're going to be like, you'll miss me with that breeder shit, man. You know, I mean, and he goes, I don't know, maybe I might have to come up with a different term. I'm like, okay, I don't have a problem with it. I don't care. It's just like I had friends growing up and we would use all types of horrible fucking slurs and shit towards each other fucking with each other but no one said it in anger no one said it meaning it i mean i take a beating when i get together with my friends about my irish heritage because they're like oh here comes that drunk fucking plastic patty yeah how many times you've been to ireland there and i'm like oh here we go all right i got i got the half negro half indian making fun of me really why don't you go somewhere get drunk and abandon your children you know what i'm saying like it's just what we do we just fuck with each other right and no one takes offense to it now, if you're an outsider and you walked in, you'd think you walked into a, like a fucking a hate rally. You're like these people are going to kill each other. <laughs> but once again, it's not for them. And and on top of that, I you know Bill Hicks said something years ago before even before I mean I, that I heard him say before I knew he was Bill Hicks and it was before he died. Um, he said, you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you know, I didn't, I didn't, I, I really didn't. I knew of him, but I didn't realize his body oh, of heard, work. You heard this before he died. Yes, yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize his body of work and appreciate it until I saw the "It's Just a Ride" BBC special about his life. Right. And I think that was like six months after he died. But whatever. He said something, and he goes, "If I say something and you get offended, that's your problem. Right. That's not my problem." My problem is not to walk around making sure I don't offend people. I'm offended every single day by war, by poverty, by the atrocities committed in the name of God, etc., etc. No one apologizes to me for it. No one even attempts to make amends for it. So if you're expecting my sympathy, you ain't going to find it. 
I'm paraphrasing, but I mean, and I was like, exactly. It's not our job as, as, as people to work, to walk around going, Oh my God, did I offend somebody? Did I offend somebody? But when you have a whole generation of people now going, we're going to reject all these terms that there is nothing wrong with, and we're going to replace them with terms that we've come up with simply because we insist we have to come up with our own terms for this. And if you use the old terms, you're homophobic, you're sexist, you're whatever. No, that's where my problem is. You want to use the terms? Use them. I'm just going to roll my eyes. But when you start labeling me as something because well, I refuse to play your game. Right. Fuck well, you. Can, can I play devil's advocate on here? Oh, on we, Chris isn't here, so someone's got to do it. Well, right, but what, what do you, I mean, you use words to convey a certain meaning, right? Now, if the, a meaning of a certain word maybe hasn't changed in your mind, but if it has in the person that you're talking to, well, then you're not communicating effectively. You're being misunderstood, and you're you're being misunderstood as possibly a racist or a bigot of some sort. If I had a friend, so, if I had a friend who said to me, you know, Rich, I'm gay. To be honest with you, it bothered me when you used the word faggot. I know you're not just talking to me. I know you're not talking about a gay person, right? But it bothers me because I know there's other people that are going to hear you say it, not understand the context you're using it in, and think it's giving them a pass to say it, right? It's just like my friends that I was close to growing up that were black. We throw the term nigga around all the time, but when we got into around people we didn't know, we didn't do it because inevitably someone would be like, what'd that white boy say? Yeah. Oh, you, you thinking you a little too familiar, huh? And it's like, you know, my boy would have to be like, you don't understand. This is, that's how we talk to each other. It ain't got nothing to do with you. He ain't calling you one, so don't worry about it. So it's just an unspoken rule. If, if I had a friend that asked me, would you not use the term around me? I'd do my best. But if I'm pissed off and in the middle of a rant, it might pop out. It's been known to. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've tried to replace, replace it with cocksucker, but then someone was like, that's just as offensive. I'm like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> How do you square this with the conversations we've had about uh, online interaction, though? You know, Bill Hicks was a world-class comedian. He was an observer. He could write. He was a performer, legendary performer. He went on stage with prepared material and put forth rants and observations, things like that. So I can understand him saying, in the context of being on stage at a performance, when someone has come into the auditorium to hear what he has to say, if I offend you, that's your problem. I get that. How do you square that with what we've talked about as far as online interaction? What are they? I, I'm, I swear I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just... No, no. I'm asking for clarification. If they're offended by a, a, an attempt I make at making a joke because they don't find it funny, yeah. that's their problem. If they're offended because I say I'm pro-choice mm-hmm. and they're pro-birth, yeah. that's their problem. Yeah, I'm not going to go looking to offend people. I'm not going to barge into a fucking comment section and immediately apply a scorched earth policy to everyone who disagrees with me and try right. to piss off as many people. I used, I, I did the trolling thing in like 2000, 2001, and I did the fuck out of it. And then I started realizing that there's human beings on the other end of this fucking screen. And one, and, and it just stopped being fun. I don't know if I grew up or I just grew out of it. It stopped being fun. But there's a lot of people who are stuck in that trolling stage and they're never getting out of it. I mean, I love to go to 4chan because it's the wild west of the internet. But that's a whole forum full of people stuck in the troll mentality. Yeah. And they are looking to offend people. 
The difference is I'm not looking to offend you. If you're offended, that's your problem. If I'm looking, it's like when people go, are you mad at me? Believe me, if I'm mad, you won't have to ask. You will know. If I'm trying to offend you, you won't have to go, are you trying to offend me? Uh, no, I will. You will know. That's how I, but at the same time, what do I do? And this goes back to what I said a few episodes ago, Todd. I don't engage with people in those fucking debates when I see that it's going to end in a disagreement and we're not going to disagree agreeably whatsoever. And it's going to be libtard, snowflake, you know, whatever the fuck, Trump tard. So I just, that's, that's, that's how I reconcile my view of that online. Does that make any sense? I think so. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I got to ask you, Aaron, what do you do online? Because I'm never on Twitter. Do you ever comment on shit and like, no, (laughs) you just lurk. I never see throw anything up on Twitter. I've seen him share a couple of things and like something here and there. That's it. Yep. Yep. It it happens. Every every once in a while, I'll just put up a picture of my cat with like no caption. (laughs) It's like, here, you like cats, right? It's the internet. Of course, you like cats. Here, here's a cat. Right. <laughs> it's a simple way to get likes. Well, no, and I don't know. I've 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 actually debated. No, I guess you're right, though. I've I've given up on trying to engage. Exactly. Exactly. In, in any respect, and I, when I first really started getting into Twitter in earnest, it was almost impossible to invo- avoid it because, it, like, there was just ridiculous shit not being challenged <laughs> and like somebody's got to step in here and challenge it and then i pretty quickly learned the error of my ways after you know i mean each one of these interactions was completely unsatisfying well i think the, there was there was no reward there and i think you know, people get their reward online from you know making their own personal scores of like, oh, I really got one over on that guy. And they get this, you know, little endorphin boost in their brain. Especially and, the mo- and more I'm, people click like on it. And- I'm lacking that. Like, I I enjoy a good discussion and even a good argument. But it, it's it's not like either of those are going to happen on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere else. I, I think... I've just grown weary of call-out culture. And the reason I have is because I've started to see what call-out culture really is. It's not about calling out somebody and going, hey, man, have you really put any thought behind what you just said and how that might come across to somebody else? Mm-hmm. It's not about enlightenment. It's about, a, it's about a, a narcissistic need to shame somebody and to, and, and to inflict punishment on them and then get everyone else to point at them and go, look at this, look at this, look at this idiot over here, look at this heretic, right. look at this, you know, whatever the fuck. And, you know, my brother's a master at it. He, oh my God, he loves calling people out on the internet. And I could just, I could just see him sitting there and every time someone likes one of his call outs, his, it just validates it more and more. I'm doing the right thing here. Right. You know, it's the Joan of Arc thing. I'm doing God's work because God told me to, except for you take God out of it. And I'm doing, I'm doing my narcissistic, self-centered work, but you've, he, you've convinced yourself that you're somehow doing better for, you're bettering society. When all you're doing is being the kid that would get his ass beat for snitching on the playground when we were in fucking grade school. Right. And I, I don't see it at like, 
lot of people look at social media like if you're if you're on there, it's fair game. Whatever you you post, if you post something I don't agree with, you're going to hear from me. And I don't. I I think you need to dig a little bit deeper, and that takes a lot more work than most people are willing to put into. But you know, there, it's almost like there's two different types of profiles, right? There's plenty of uh, people on on Twitter spouting their opinions on stuff, but let's face it, probably 99% of that shit is just random shit that popped into your brain, right? It's not your ethos. This isn't part of your manifesto that you're putting on Twitter. You saw something on TV that made you mad and you reacted to it and you you put it up on Twitter. (laughs) Now, there's other accounts where they have like a, a purpose, a drive, an issue, right? I, I'd say freely, openly engage those people. Absolutely, they want to make that their their stance, their hill to die on. Well, let's challenge that. But you know, the person who sees a shooting on TV and says, "Gosh, that could be my kid," and tweets out, "We should ban all guns from this country." Well, yeah, okay, that's a ridiculous statement. It's a reactionary statement. It's a, a fantasy that will never happen. But unless your your whole page is all about banning guns in America, it's not even going to occur to me to challenge that. That's just that's just a tweet, right? <laughs> well, it's it's just a reaction to one thing. It's just that that person might not even believe that same thing tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. I've actually had friends. And, and there's nothing seen- wrong with that. You know, I'm not saying this critically either. That, that's part of the reason why there's so many. I, I've just given up on, on trying to engage on Twitter because, it, yes, it, I follow a lot of accounts that, that, that tweet out stuff that I do not agree with. And it, there's plenty of times where I've typed out a tweet and then just hit a race. Like, <laughs> Yep. Okay, I got I got that out of my system. Let's not <laughs> I, go done, down this road. I've done that on Facebook more times than I care to count. That's what. Remember, John right. Oliver it, it, it set up the website, scream it into the void, where you could yeah. just type anything and hit enter, and you'd go ah. <laughs> like, okay, type what you're going to type I, in Facebook and Twitter there first. If it still makes sense to post, post. <laughs> yeah, it's the online equivalent of just yelling into your pillow. Exactly. Well, you know, and. I really do want to get into this because I think it's very interesting and it, and it, and it touches on a few things we covered, which is this. I, is, Todd, is it safe to say that this Black Lives Matter page was a bogus fake account? Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. The the one that was that a CNN story mm-hmm. about it, it about how the the most popular because there's more than one Black Lives by, Matter by uh, far uh, the most popular. Yes, the, the absolute most powerful. Uh, the the one that raised the most money, yeah, that supposedly went to I I don't know where people think their their, their money is going when they donate to Black Lives Matter, but oh they were selling, but, but it was going to well. a guy in fucking Australia. Yeah, yeah, they he were supposed like, to be raising money for organizations or um, something down that line, and then the money was rewired into an Australian bank account instead of going to these organizations. I think I think that's what I read. Now, my question is, was this, did they have the little check mark? Were they verified? Oh, this, is, uh, this is a Facebook account. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Facebook, if, you, if you're oh, a celebrity they, or if you're like a, non, a nonprofit organization like the Red Cross or something, uh-huh. 
they'll have some version of that you've been verified. Oh, okay. Uh, is um, Black Lives Matter a nonprofit? I have no idea. That's see, that's that goes back to what I was talking I'd about. Like, it's, I'd like to know that actually. <laughs> it's like a very it's a very decentralized, leaderless, rudderless movement. Right. That's just a, a thought thrown out into the ether. Right. And something to chant when you're pissed off. It, that's why it, it's. It, I'm baffled by the idea that people donate to Black Lives Matter and share stories about how you shouldn't donate to the Red Cross because you don't know where your money's going. <clears throat> the thought I had on this was that it, it goes back to that podcast that I did in 2004 where people are, are I, I love the fleecing the fucktards hashtag I came up with a number of years ago because there are people, really smart, savvy people that know how to exploit all of this and make money on it. You can find the Never Again people. You can find the Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement. And there's going to be some guy out there who's smarter than the three of us combined who's going to figure out how to exploit that and how to make a dollar on it, even if they don't mm-hmm. believe a, a morsel of what's coming out of the hashtag mouths. There are going to be people that will exploit it. They will play you against this. They'll they'll put stuff up on this page to just get you incited, and they'll have clever little ways for you to financially sort of purge yourself and get your rage out because you're going to send a few dollars here and you're going to fight the evil that's in the world. And there there it reminds me of this collusion thing. It reminds me of everything that went on prior to the election with Facebook. How people will go on and they'll put uh, like the um, the antithesis movements coming from the same people like you'll have I, I'm, I'm struggling to, to remember exactly what it was but like you'll have a far left leaning page here to gather the green tea partyists together and then you'll have a far right page to gather all of the white supremacists together and you're playing both sides of the coin and the funds and the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, profits are going to the same bank account oh absolutely it's, it's like a, it's, it's like an arms fucking, dealer who sells to both sides of the war but it's, it's like it, it's actually what Russia did during the election. Yep. It's just that their their pro Trump propaganda got a lot more traction. Yeah, but they they also put the anti Trump stuff out there. One hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you know the the thing that I go back to every time I have this discussion with anybody is if Russia set out not to influence but just disrupt our faith right in the system. And disrupt the system itself. It's been a fucking smashing success. That's yeah, been stated. Absolutely. That's been stated as the goal. That's yeah. what that. That's that's. I think somebody in Facebook and maybe somebody in the intelligence community said they didn't set out to elect Trump necessarily. They wanted to sow division, division that was ripe to be sown. They and want to is, see it's it's the divide and conquer thing. If you can if you can split this country in half, it weakens itself. And this is where I mean you. Uh, I really don't want to like go real deep down this rabbit hole because I could be there for a while and I get a feeling that, that, that you could as well too, Todd. But this is where this, this Marxist postmodern school of thought gains traction. It, it, it turns into identity politics. It's been pushed in universities for what, since the late sixties? I mean, and that's, that's being polite about it. You know, this, this, everything is connected and every, and, and, it's more important what group you're a part of than what the person you are. That's where your value comes from. It's where Not your identity to, comes from. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and <clears throat> that just, I, 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 you know, I, I go back to uh, shit. I can't remember if it was Khrushchev or not. 
But, you know, when he infamously said at the U.N., we'll take down America and we won't fire one shot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you go and you look at, like, what happened in the, in the late 80s, early 90s in Russia, how did, how did the, the quote-unquote Soviet Union, what was the main ways it, it, it came down? We started exporting our culture to their kids. Mm-hmm. Hey, go see Pantera and Metallica kids. You know, go, go Here, have some jeans. blue jeans. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, and Russia's just now going, well, turnabout's fair play, so we're just going to take this school of thought that was already permeating, and we're just going to run with it. And online is the perfect way to spread it. And it's, it's, you're absolutely right about playing both sides against the middle. I used to work for a screen printing place. Anytime something topical and controversial happened, we'd instantly come up with at least two versions of a shirt, one supporting it, one attacking it. Yeah. And we'd sell them oh, both. Oh, right. It, it's like... Uh, Pure capitalist, raw capitalism unchecked. We like, did not give a fuck about morals or, or, or political stance. Right. If, you, if you're at uh, some championship sports game of some sort, let's say Super Bowl, you come out of the, the, of the stadium and immediately there's guys selling shirts celebrating the winning team. And what's right. your thought? Like, oh, that person must really love that team. And they had so much faith and confidence that they knew that they were going to win, that they had all these... No, he's got just as many of the others, right. the other shirts for the other losing team that are going to be donated to Africa. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> they do it every year at the, at the World Series. You go into the uh, the winning locker room at the World Series, and it says, Houston Astros, 2017 World Champion. You think right. they didn't have the other ones for the Dodgers? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. In fact, they have an like, instant printing press right out there in the concourse just to print all these up in the ninth inning. Right. So the, the, right. One of the funniest stories about that, real quick, was the 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 '86 Mets and the and the and the Red Sox. They were so sure the Red Sox were going to win, they started taping off the lockers. So when they yeah. did the champagne celebration, and they had you know world champions and shit. And then yeah. the Red Sox blew it, and they were like, tear it all down real quick. Get, Get out, out of here. Get out of here. Yeah, that's, that's a good. It's a funny story. There's a lot more to that story. I can't remember the details of it, but it's like I think the, the Red Sox came in or something. There were remnants of the, the, the Red Sox World Series champions. Yeah, I remember Bob Costas. It's got to hurt. I remember Bob Costas telling the story, and he was like, they were not happy. And I'm like, that's probably the understatement of the year for you, Costas. Yeah, blame You think? <laughs> but, yeah. um... But no, I, I that's that's something I, I I try to when I talk to people, I'm like, are you aware that that most of what you read and see online, especially through, via social media, is someone trying to get a rise out of you? They're not trying to enlighten you. They're not yeah. trying to 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 bring knowledge to you that you didn't have before. They're trying to piss you off enough to to get you to do something. Well, they're, trying to, be, they're trying to generate clicks. They're trying to generate shares because all this stuff comes back to a website. It generates traffic, and that's how they make their money. So if they can piss you off or make you or, or post something you you know passionately agree with, just so you'll click the share button, just so you'll generate some more traffic to their website, it's going to make them money. It's pure blatant capitalism, just like you said with the hats, man. It's the same idea. It's what I was talking about last week with the media. You know, they have you have to give them. You have to give people a product. Right. And if you give them a product that they're going to do something with, engage with, move it around, then you're going to make money. And that's the bottom line. As far as you know, the media companies go, what's the bottom line with, with Russia, though? 
You know, what's the end game? And that's, that's to, to basically sow social division and weaken the country. Well, yeah, because if we're at each other's throats, then... We're, yep, divide and conquer. Exactly. And it's, this isn't... E- ah, God. It's not a rocket science. You know, I understand that, that I, I get off my lawn, whatever. You know, I'm an old guy and blah, blah, blah. But I, man, I really don't remember as many people in my generation I grew up with acting like, oh, this divide and conquer shit, this has never happened before. This is something that's, that's exclusive to our generation. No, bread and circuses. Have you never fucking read a history book once ever? Have you never? We did, we, we did it. We did it in Latin America all the time. Exactly, and that's why when when I you know younger people are like, oh, we're too savvy to fall for this. You no, you have fucking swallowed the the hook, line, and sinker. You're kidding me, right? They know. I, I've said this. I've said it a hundred times in my own show that they know us better than we know ourselves. Madison Avenue knows us better than we know ourselves. The politicians, even our own politicians, know us better than we know ourselves. The media company knows us better than we know ourselves. And terrifyingly, Vladimir Putin and his propaganda machine over there in Russia knows us better than we know ourselves. Uh-huh. And we're so fucking oblivious so self-absorbed and so full of ourselves that we don't see it. That we refuse to understand that we're being played. That we refuse to look each other in the eye and say, they're fucking with us. You realize that, right? Sorry, brother. <laughs> you know, and it, it just, it's like the, the internet has, and I've got this, this is another idea I've got sort of forming in my head, so bear with me if I stutter and stammer, but it's like, I call it the Kraken of the id. It's released the id from its cage. And that's all that you see now. You, you have the ideological sort of identification that where you get your identity and your sense of purpose and your sense of self by what political party's t-shirt you're wearing. And if you're not wearing my party's T-shirt, you're you're the enemy now. And that people do not see how that's be how they're being exploited that way, and the effects of it, the divisiveness, and where it's going to lead. Well, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, yeah. If you if you want to poison someone, you don't just feed them whatever. You're going to make their favorite what, dish. Eat them what they want. Exactly. Yeah. You, you're going to feed them what you know they're going to eat. Yep. Well, I mean, just go back and, and look at. You can even ask them first; they'll tell you. <laughs> just, just, just go back and look at the start. Oh man, don't poison my pizza, man! I'll oh. eat the fuck out of that shit. Uh, the Pizza Man podcast, by the way, on ChristopherMedia.net. <laughs> Freddie the Pizza Guy, formerly of one hundred five point one. But anyways, um, if you go back, go back to the beginning, and you, and you look at the very beginning of something like Black Lives Matter. Uh-huh. You know, let's just forget the whole. Uh, Michael Brown shit for a second. Okay. And just look at what they were saying. And look at the reaction that it caused. It caused a bunch of reactionaries to, to create Blue Lives Matter pages, yep, All right. Lives Matter, White right. Lives Matter, yes. Gay Lives Matter. And, so, and, and, and I had more than a few friends who fell into the, yeah, fuck them. Like, black lives are the only ones that matter. I said, let me ask you a question. If there was a species that was, their habitat was threatened, and we went, let's go save this species, uh-huh. does that mean fuck every other species? Right, right. Save oh, the whales, fuck all the other animals? Fuck the dolphins. Fuck the guppies. <laughs> fuck those guppies. You know? Yeah. I'm like, how, why is, 
you know, let's save the whales. Why does it equal fuck the dolphins in your mind? Right. And I said, now, if you want to, if you want to tackle the, the factual inaccuracy of the narrative that they're putting out there that black people are predominantly killed by cops more than anybody else. No, it's really poor people. Yeah. And who come out and said it first, at least that I saw, Charlie LaDuff. And here's the thing. Charlie LaDuff's like a quarter black, so no one can fuck with him. <laughs> he can say it. And you know what? He was totally ignored. It was totally yeah. glossed over. It was not picked up in any mainstream media. And this is when he had his nationally televised American show. Mm -hmm. He went right on national television and said it and backed it up with facts. And everyone just went, mm-hmm, that's nice. Anyways, yeah, these cops, they're, it's, it's the Wild West up here on black oh, yeah, folks, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, oh, no. if Charlie the Duff came out 100% for the Black Lives Matter movement. Oh, they'd have put him on his shoulders and carried him off the field like he was fucking Bo Schembeck. 100%. I absolutely. He'd have been a fucking, that would have, see, that's what I'm saying. Where is the figurehead for this movement? So is it really a movement or is it more of a, is it more of a, a, a thought exercise? It's just something, like I said, to throw out there when you get pissed off and you're protesting. Something to Black get lives matter. Black something lives matter. Something to get the mob, the mob to raise, raise its pitchforks and scream. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I've seen enough videos of the Black Lives Matter protest where they get in the middle of the street the highways or whatever, uh -huh. and they block people. Right. And they start, you know, the, the people that, sorry, I agree with Bill Hicks on this. I, I saw what happened to Reginald Denny. Step on the gas. <laughs> Step on the gas. I'm solved. <laughs> yeah, so, especially if they're beating on my car trying to get at me. I'm that not coming to a stop. That was I'm fantastic. I'm going over top of you. Yeah, in that bit. Uh, anybody ever think what I did? Hit the gas, man. And that's exactly <laughs> what I thought every time I saw that video starting in 19. Now, why didn't he just hit the gas? But He's I, in a I just big truck. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just watched a video today that someone posted, and it was I don't know why they everybody was on bicycles. Okay. But they were blocking traffic, and I'm going to say it was like eighty five percent black. And I heard some Black Lives Matter chant. So it's probably a protest over some sort of shooting or police whatever. And they were literally hopping off their bikes, grabbing their bikes, and hitting a cop car that was in the middle of an intersection. And the cop just started driving in a circle with his siren on, trying to get him out of the middle of the intersection. Yeah. And some guy was coming, and he stopped. And half the crowd looked at this guy and started attacking his car. And he stomped on the gas and sent one guy about five feet through the air. And the same people who were literally 10 seconds before beating on the cop car, fuck you pig, die pig, help help why aren't you going after him he just ran one of us over and it's like <laughs> do you not you're like those idiots who have a don't tread on me sticker right above a blue lives matter sticker the synapse one motherfucker not, they're not firing the synapses aren't firing at that point i mean it is rudderless and I and and that that is that is where it's that's why it's like when my son tells me that my my daughter was beating on him. Like you're not telling me everything that happened up until then. <laughs> what happened before that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I highly doubt that my daughter just stood up and was she, like, she kicked your door down. I was like, get the fuck off that computer. I'm beating your ass today. The beatings will commence until morale improves. You know, it's just like no. I highly doubt that. You know, I have no optimism that this is ever going to happen. But I hope I live long enough that some sort of report or book is written on 
the 2016 election and maybe the five years prior to that and the disinformation campaign that came from the Soviet Union, because I'd love to see, I don't know if it's the KGB now or whatever it is, but the intelligence agency, the Russian intelligence agency, I'd love to see the psychological evaluation that they have on us as a collective. Yeah. And, and I'd love to see how they thought and planned to exploit us. I would love to see that in, in print. I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm yeah, with you. I'm with you, but I, I just I can't help but think this week we watched Congress browbeat Zuckerberg for spying on his on his clients. Right. The same Congress that passed. <laughs> right. Another another you know what instance I'm saying? To, another chance to use the uh, Spider-Man meme with the two Spider-Man pointing at each, each other. other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like hey, okay, you realize that. This is what you guys did, right? Yeah. Don't you remember the Patriot Act? Remember yeah. all that shit? Remember Edward Snowden? Remember Wik- WikiLeaks? Come on now. But Julian we Assange? It. We did it for the people. Right. The closed door session was where they asked him for tips. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> How does he do it? Well, you know, and I, because I, you'd brought it up and I'd forgotten about it, but I, I think it's very interesting. Um, oh, shit. Brain fart. Speaker of the House who's stepping down. Uh, Paul Ryan. Thank you. Um, Todd, you said he's, what, 48? I Yeah, something like that. I'm not exactly yeah, sure. He, yeah, he's that. around there. Cause yeah. I, it was about 20 years ago that I remember him entering the national stage, uh-huh. the, the, you know, the, the awareness of him reaching the national stage. That's a short fucking career in politics. 48? Well, he's hey. re- retiring? He's, uh, well, he's retiring from the Congress. Yeah, yeah he's he said seeking he re-election. Back. He might go back home and he might do something politically in Wisconsin, I think he said, right? He's going to go back and run for governor and then president. I mean, You think that's what he's going to do, honestly? The reason, yeah, absolutely. The reason he's stepping down now is because he either thinks that his seat isn't safe enough and he's going to take a loss and that'll be harder to come back from, or either that or his party will lose enough seats and he's certainly one of the leaders of that party that he's going to be seen as responsible for the big uh, blue wave that is expected. But what's interesting is that he didn't want speaker of the house. He was really the only person on the, in, in the Republican party who could get enough votes from the party that was being divided by the, the, you know, the Trump, yeah, the, the new Trumpians or whatever you want to call them. Well, and so he just kind of like, like, all right, I'll, okay. And he's he's been at odds with Trump before. I mean, once Trump was elected, he half-heartedly did the, you know, I support our president, blah blah. I mean, oh, I can well, almost see him sitting there doing it with rolling his eyes. Remember the uh, pre-election comment from Paul Ryan about Trump? Oh, I think he's paid by the Russians. Oh yeah, <laughs> and 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 when the, when the grabber by the pussy thing come out. He called him out. He called him out on that. He called him out on. He goes, "How the fuck are you going to say?" Well, he didn't say how the fuck. I'm obviously heavily paraphrasing, but he's basically like, "How the fuck are you going to sit here and say uh, there's very good people on both sides when one side is self declared white supremacist?" Mm-hmm. Come on now. You know what like, kills yeah, like, me about Paul Ryan is that he's sort of like <laughs> you talk about goalpost moving. This is the the guy who was spearheading the Tea Party movement in 2010. Remember? Yeah. He was one of the one of the young guns or whatever that came in and was uh, swept into office in 2010 with the Tea Party. This yeah, guy's not exactly... 
Romney's he's running not, mate. Yeah, he is not some sort of moderate centrist. He seems that way uh, because of Trump and because how fucked up everything is now. But he's right. <laughs> he is not the bland vanilla alternative. He's still Mr. Tea Party guy. He has well, nothing's no, I mean, changed with him. Nothing's changed at all. He's a Republican. Uh, in like he's like a Bush era Republican, which is now a centrist. Paul Ryan? No, he's further. He's far further to the left than, than any Bush era Republican was. You think? Oh yeah. You, have you forgotten twenty ten? The, the, he's one of the guys that was spearheading shutting the government down in twenty ten. Remember that? He was right at the forefront of that. I. I'll grant you that. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, he seems that way now because because of the, I guess the um, decay of the rhetoric in the last eight years. But uh, yeah, he's still you know Mr. Freedom Caucus slash Tea Party guy, and now he's sort of being like you said. I mean, it sounds like the at least the tone of what I'm hearing you guys say is that he seems like the sensible alternative now. But that's just because the you know it's like the frog in the pot because Trump's turned the the burner up to nine now and all of a sudden the tea party seems like you know it's almost like it's like George Bush we go back 10 years and George Bush seemed like a uh an atrocity an American atrocity right but now god I'd love to have George Bush no <laughs> it's because it's it's all relative because everything's been been just thrown in the air that's what bothers me about this is the I, the the normal has been moved. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm no defender of of Paul Ryan. I, I think I, I always saw his involvement with the Tea Party as opportunistic. He he he's always had an idea of the of how the government should run and how the how we should budget everything and. And this was a, a means to an end for him. This was this was a party that that he could jump in front of and and eventually get his Paul Ryan budget passed, yeah. Which we have seen, and we now know that it <laughs> it's actually destroyed the budget and put us further into debt. But he gets to you know say mission accomplished. And you know, take it, take the opportunity to wave from his uh, his own personal <laughs> aircraft carrier. How do you figure he's going to run? Spend more time with his family. How do you figure he's going to run? You think he's going to run in twenty twenty four? Then you think he's thinking six years and six years ahead of time? He wants to go be governor for six years and then run. I mean, he's young I would enough. imagine so. Yeah, I would. I could totally picture that. No, yeah, I could do. I don't. I don't believe that he's done with government by any means. He's just getting off. He's jumping off the train before it hits the bridge. Yes. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question because you brought up, you know, his involvement in 2010 with the Tea Party. And there's a lot of there's a lot of people who entertain the school of thought that the Tea Party gave birth to the alt-right, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember mm-hmm. the first time we started discussing the alt-right. It was right after we came back. Yeah. And we were kind of like, what the fuck is the alt-right? They right. Just, they're a bunch of people who post, like, Pepe memes. Yeah, yeah. And somehow Pepe became a racist symbol. I'm like, it's just a frog that... Anybody can draw anything on that frog. I could draw him to where he's a hippie. I could draw him to where he's a Nazi. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. It's just nonsense. I'm like, this is what people are upset about. And I remember a conversation you and I specifically had. I think it was one of the shows that was just you and I. Chris wasn't there. And, you know, I was like, we basically were like, is there anything about the alt-right that, you know, we're like, okay, I can, I can, I can kind of get down with that. And the one thing I come up with is they don't seem to be led around by the religious right. 
They do not give a fuck about the Christian right in this country. Yeah. And to me, that's okay. I mean, I, I'm not saying that I support them because of that, or I'm an all right person, but, you know, even Hitler loved his dogs. I mean, I, I you know, it's like. <laughs> I'm glad he was a good looking German shepherd, though. Come on. <laughs> but I mean, no, you know, Kendrick, it's, obviously. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's it, it, now it's just like, like I look at the Tea Party, and you're absolutely right because I'm sitting here. I, we were talking about this, like, man, I, if you'd have told me in 2016, we said this on election night that I'd be like sitting here opining about and longing for the days of Bush and Cheney, <laughs> yeah, versus looking at looking at Trump, Pence in January 21st, 2017, and going, oh God, can the world end before then? <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you know, I, now I look at the Tea Party and I'm like, those pretty much benign old people walking around with stupid fucking tea bags right. hanging off their heads. Well, I, you know, I, I don't long for the days of unnecessary wars, but if we have to have unnecessary wars, I would like them fought by somebody who at least knows, seems to know what they're doing. That doesn't say we have. Fighter planes that don't exist on anything but Call of Duty. Yeah. Or at least surrounds himself with people that know what they're doing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I still say say the one person Trump doesn't fuck with is is Mad Dog. He doesn't tweet about him. He doesn't poke the bear. He lets the warrior monk just, I hired you to do this job or I appointed you to do this job. Go do this job. I'm going to let you do it. And it's just hands off. Yeah. And that, that... whether you agree with Mad Dog or not, you know, I'm talking about Mattis, General, former General Mattis, Marine Corps General Mattis. Um, whether you agree with him or not, Trump's at least smart enough to not start to try to stick his fingers into that, that particular end of the pool. Cause the military, they don't take kindly to draft dodgers. They don't take kindly to, you know, pogues. Shit like that, you know, persons they, other than grunts getting their fucking. Right, but, but what are they going to do about it? That draft dodger is the commander in chief now, right? Uh, what are they going to do? You're going to you're going to have a military Roman style that's, coup. That's thing. I mean, it's not like uh, no. But what I'm saying is he he's not poking the bear and he's not pissing off the military. And by leaving them alone, he'll probably continue to have their support. Versus if he started trying to act like he's some sort of if he try if he started being a fucking like like a chicken hawk he would probably lose support i'm not saying that, that the other side would gain support from the military mm. you would just see military people disengage like i i saw yeah. a lot of, i saw a lot of that with bush you know they're mm. like what the fuck did he do he fucking national guard and he was a male cheerleader Get the fuck out of here <laughs> yeah. so instead of voting for 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 gore or um Kerry, most most former military military people I knew in two thousand wanted McCain, yeah, and and it's that's who they trusted. They didn't really trust Bush, and so they just didn't vote. They just said, "Fuck it, I can't support anybody in this fucking." That's what I'm saying. He's smart enough, or someone around him smart enough to go, "Don't fuck with these people. Just shut up and let them do what they're going to do, and they're still going to vote your way." Because most mm-hmm. of them would rather die than vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. When you find a, a true progressive in the military, it's a unicorn-type situation. It really is. And I don't give a shit about this fucking, well, there's trans people in the military now and all this and all that. Look, you have no choice but to accept who the fuck you're stationed with. All right? But that don't mean that you got to fucking think and agree with everything they fucking do. You know it, right. you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not a, it's not a I'm going to force you at gunpoint to agree to this. 
and, and, and go along with it. It's, I have no choice, and there's no point in arguing about it. As long as they cover my fucking six, I'm fine. And I, I still maintain. Someone around Trump is smart enough to just don't fuck with it. <laughs> Leave good enough alone and enjoy the votes. That's it. But, I mean, I don't know, because if 2018 goes like you're saying, Todd, and the Democrats come in, you get a lot of Republicans swept out, which, what, what was it on NPR? Like, is it 32 Republicans between Congress and, and Senate? It was more than that. Have said they're not running for re-election? Mm-hmm. They're not even it's, attempting to? It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, I don't know yeah. the exact number, it but it's going to happen. near 50. Okay. It's this, but it's, again, it's the same thing that happened in 2010. We were talking about Paul Ryan a few minutes ago, and that's exactly what happened uh, with the Tea Party wave. They came in, and boy, it was like uh, just a slaughter. All the Democrats were just wanting to go out and hang themselves after that election in 2010. Me being the anti-Tea Party guy, I was right there with them. I wanted to string myself up from an oak uh, for a few weeks after that. Uh, but yeah, it's going to happen. But and, and the thing that gets me is that progressives are so selectively ignorant about recent history that they see this election, this midterm election, where the out, you know the out of power party has a really good year, and they see that all of a sudden as suddenly a bellwether for how the country is going to move, and they can completely forget that the opposition party always does well in midterm elections. And they completely forget about what happened in 2012, just two short years after the Tea Party stormed Congress. Completely forget it. So, yeah, I, I keep telling people, you know, you're a, you're a Democrat, you're a liberal, progressive type dude. Have a great, uh, enjoy November. Have a beer. And stock up on antidepressants for 2020. Well, I really, yeah. I really think what's going to be a thorn in the Democrat side post-2018 <sighs> is Hillary Clinton. That bitch will just not go away. And she's out there pissing off the people who hate her and the people who are like, you know, I held my nose and voted for Hillary because I didn't want Trump. Mm-hmm. That would be me. You know, <laughs> they're now going, can this bitch shut up and go away? I mean, she goes over to another country and says the reason she wasn't elected is because toxic masculinity in the United States and men told their wives they better vote for Trump. First of all, does this bitch know anybody? Know any real life couples? I don't know any men out of my friends who's going to go to their wives and say, "Bitch, you're going to vote the way I tell you to vote." They probably get a fucking uh, a foot in their, their fucking crotch. Like, how are like, they going to know anyway? You're going to follow them into the booth and make sure they push the right button. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I mean, do you see what I'm saying? She can't just accept right. you had a clear shot to the end zone and you started fucking showboating 10 yards out and Trump you know, went behind you and stripped you of the ball. You can't sure handle that. Ten thousands of listeners that listen to the Unregimented podcast weekly on the ChristopherMedia.net network. I'm sure of these tens of thousands, at least one or two of you have a direct line to Hillary. Please tell <laughs> Hillary. It wasn't men or any sort of sexism that beat you. It was you. People don't like you. Go away. <laughs> Ride off into the sunset on Bill or something. Well, Take, let's, I mean, put Monica on a leash and walk her out into the <laughs> desert somewhere. Just stay there. I don't care. Just stay there. I mean, can you think of another presidential candidate who lost when they had 
I mean, everybody thought it was a slam dunk, and they just refused to go away. Like, I no, guess you that's could t- that's like one of the the accepted <laughs> parts of presidential electoral decorum. You get beat, you go away. <laughs> you you know, I guess I guess you could say Nixon because <laughs> Nixon lost to Kennedy in '60, and a lot of people, you know, right. the infamous the infamous debate. Those who yeah. listened on radio thought Nixon won. Those who watched thought Kennedy won because right. Kennedy was more media savvy and television savvy. Well, right. what were Nixon, what was Nixon the, uh, was sweaty and didn't use any makeup? Yeah, yeah, but beyond that, what was the spread of the election? It was like a hundred thousand votes. It was, I mean, it was razor thin. But I mean, you get you get what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah, it, it was it was perceived that Nixon was going to win against this young upstart because, and this is so weird to think. Yeah. It, oh my God, he's a Catholic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like we were yeah, watching right. Bill Maher the other day, and Louis Anderson was on. Uh huh. You realize it was only like 15 years ago that he had to leave Family Feud because of accusations that he was gay. Was that why? Yeah. Wow. He was He was going to be blackmailed with the details of his sexual orientation, and I'm like, who the fuck cares? Right. This is how I I look. I looked at Louis Anderson. I'm like, if he's getting if he's getting laid. Good for you, bro. Yeah, you know, you can get it. The, the generosity it. of human beings never ceases to amaze me. Like seriously, but I mean, just how absurd that is, and that's that's what I think of with Kennedy. You know, we can't have a Catholic as president. The Pope's going to be, you know, moving into the White House and all this shit. Right, right. We're going to tear down the Statue of Liberty and put up a statue of Mary Magdalene and shit. And, well, look at Jesse Jackson in the '80s. A black president. Is that ever going to happen in our lifetimes? <laughs> yeah, I still love Eddie Murphy's take on it. He's like, you know, Jesse might win. You white people, y'all get drunk and do some stupid shit. Come out the voting booth. I just voted for Jesse. The next day, he fucking won. <laughs> Have you guys ever tried to watch Eddie Murphy's old stuff, like recently? Oh, oh God, yeah. or is there anything? Oh. Uh, I, I find it terrible. It's, I used to love those things. I can't. Yeah. I yeah. just I don't think they're that good anymore. I agree I with you, Todd. Yeah. Both of y'all, both of y'all, I got two balls, one for each of you. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> the ice cream skits classic. The burn the the, yes. the, the, back, good, the barbecue skits classic. Pieces. There's good pieces of it, but it's yeah, as as a collective we used to go to Blockbuster when I was like sixteen, seventeen years old and rent the VHSs and just sit there and laugh our asses off. You know, on the weekends, and I, I sit right. there yeah, and I tried the, to watch one of these on YouTube a few weeks or a few months ago and just no, I can't do it anymore. Well, but this is kind of the, uh, he's a, in his own way a pioneer. You know, he was, he was yeah. part of the, uh, the crew of people that were elevating the comedian to a rock star level. Oh, fuck. And it was yeah. a gold, it was a golden and, age for stand up comedy as well. It was, really it, it was, it yeah. was, and we wouldn't have the stand up comedy that we have now if it wasn't for artists like him. But we've come so much further, and the audiences are so much more intelligent and savvy as to what they will accept. And I take exception with you blaming the stand-up we have now on those classic comedians. The stand-up we have now not, is terrible. <laughs> you said oh, we I wouldn't dis- have the stand-up we have now. It's terrible now. Oh, I, d- I, d- I disagree. I disagree really? completely. Really? Yeah. I'm, well, uh, I... I <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'll let you go, but I, I think you're mostly on an island on this one. Who? I got a crew who I think is good. Yeah, and it's the a, seller. No, it's few, the no, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying as a collective that everybody sucks. That's not what I'm saying at all. But right. I think stand-up comedy 25 years ago was a hell of a lot better than it is now. A hell of a lot better. I think, I think right now, like you have the seller, the seller crowd. That's what they're known as. That's the Bill Burr, Louis C.K. 
Colin uh-huh. Quinn, Colin Quinn be, being part of the old guard, uh-huh. you know, Patrice O'Neill, Jim Norton, et cetera, et cetera. Those guys who, I mean, savaged each other in those clubs. They, they went to that club not to make the audience laugh, yeah. but to make other comedians laugh. Right. And yeah. I mean, yeah. if you ever watched a documentary that's on YouTube about Patrice O'Neill, all the comedians are like, we could be just ripping each other apart and we'd see him walk down the stairs of the cellar to the comedy mm. cellar and we'd be like, oh yeah. shit, daddy's home. Yeah. Cause he'd just come in and just lay, just, just lay waste to every comedian there. And it was, Fair enough. that makes you be, become so good at your, your craft, but that's such a small sect. Then you got this bullshit. I'm sorry. I know some people like him. Aziz and sorry. I, I tried. I'm like, yeah, how is this funny? <laughs> he doesn't. I think he's do funny. For me. <laughs> have you, have you guys, you know, but, I, I did a lot of, I, I was around the, the Chicago standup scene and maybe, um, maybe my personal experience there is maybe tainting my overall picture of the entire scene. But I see what's sort of happening, I, I think, at these open mics and these up-and-comers in Chicago. And they're all doing the same material. There's, yeah. no, there's, there's nothing really creative coming out of there. They're all doing the same, oh, I'm fat, I'm black, I'm gay. You know, I'm the black comedian, I'm the gay comedian, I'm the fat comedian. I'm the, I, liberalism is awesome. There's no real original material that's coming out of there. No original insights. They're basically right. taking it's the like, same doctrine and repackaging it in clever, witty ways. It's, they're prop comics, only they're the prop. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, and so is the ideology. Well, one of, the, one of the things I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan, he, was, he had a few comics on, and they were talking about how New York, that style of comedy, they eat the weak. Mm-hmm. Crowds are like... Yeah. The minute someone gets up there with a guitar, you're, you're, it's over with. You're done. You might as <laughs> right. well just fucking just turn around and walk off stage. Now you go to L.A., and he's like, L.A. seems to have a lot more patience for the the goofy type comedians, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. The, here's a guitar and some sitcom impersonations and shit like that. Whereas New York, Boston in particular, especially back you know twenty years ago, I mean that was cutthroat. Chicago. See, I see. When I think of comedy in Chicago, I don't think of stand-up comedy. I think more of improv. Improv. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, the yeah, improv yeah. mecca of the world, man. It's great. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Hannibal Burris is a Chicago guy. Okay, uh, all right. Yeah. but I mean, and then you have like the 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 Texas scene in the eighties, Houston, which right, you know had right. had Kennison, Bill Hicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, a bunch a bunch of guys who I, 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 their names escape me. But if I showed you a picture of them, you go, Oh, I Watch. know that guy. Ron Schock, Jimmy Pineapple. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, there's another guy that I'm I'm drawing a blank on. What? Who? Jimmy, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, my friend Jimmy Pineapple said, case yeah. fucking yes. closed. <laughs> <laughs> These SpongeBob characters? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, These are guys that would get blackout drunk on stage. This is, what, yeah. this is the shit they did. Yeah. Well, Bill Hicks used to, uh, he would go on stage, uh, I think it was before he quit drinking. And he would uh, just go on stage, and he would go up, literally intending to run the room. He wanted the oh, yeah. audit, he, he wanted the room empty when he got done. He wanted to just go up there, piss everybody off to the point that he was doing a monologue by himself. That oh, was yeah. his attitude. If you've ever seen that documentary, uh, American Bill Hicks story, I have. Yeah, yeah. There's some footage of it, and it's like, wow, dude, yeah. you you got balls big enough to come in a dump truck. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it, dude, I, one of the most impressive and ballsy things I've ever seen a comedian do was Patrice O'Neill got up in front of a crowd that did not like him, 
did not like any of the comics before him, and he was the closer. Okay. And he went up there, and he looked at this one guy in the audience, and he was like, look at you. I got to tell you, you don't like me. Here, I'm going to give you a chance. Say whatever you want to a big black man. Get away with it for the first time in your life. And the only time in your life. You can say whatever. You can call me a nigger. Well, call me whatever you want. I can see Mr. Buzzcut. You're a racist. And I mean, just started attacking the audience to the point where people were getting yeah. up and leaving. And the yeah. audience that stayed were like, he eventually won them over. But I mean, it's just like to see a comedian who's up there who knows he has no chance of killing. He's just going to bomb mm-hmm. and go, yep. well, if I'm going to go doubt. I'm taking us. It's like my it's like my cover photo. I swear to God, I'll kill us all if you fuck with me. I mean, it's just like I'm yeah. just gonna kill everybody in the room. Yeah. <laughs> You're all coming with me. Is something amazing to see. Who do you and think takes such edge. balls? Who do, you, who do you consider cutting edge right now? That's doing stand up right now. That's that's come out that that's hit the scene in the last say ten years. Oh boy, I'm with you on Patrice O'Neill, but he's dead. And we're coming up on 10 years of him being dead. Um, yeah. That's rough. I mean, I, there's been a bunch of comedians that I was aware of through a tough crowd with Colin Quinn, who are now in the national mindset, Bill Burr. But yeah. you can't say he came up in the last 10 years. I remember Bill Burr, when he had a full head of hair, and he was talking about, I can't yeah. wear sunglasses because gingers can't wear sunglasses. It just doesn't look right. Right. Like David Caruso is the only redhead in the world that can wear sunglasses <laughs> and get away with it. Um, and that was like 25 years ago. Uh, yeah. Groundbreaking, Eric Andre maybe, but he's not really a comedian in the sense of a stand-up. He's just, uh-huh. He just know, does yeah. such subvers- subversive shit on his show that it's like... Right, right. Yeah, like did the he just is, do what I think he did? Type shit. Yeah, the right. problem is the breeding ground, though, because this goes back to what I saw in Chicago, because you can't... There's not a friendly welcoming place to take raw challenging material up on stage and develop it and craft it in front of other comedians that's how you do it you do it in front of other comedians you go to open mic shows and you're performing for other up-and-coming comedians right so you don't know if your stuff's funny or not if you're putting stuff out there that challenges anything other than the acceptable doctrine because they won't laugh you don't get a chance to develop that well you know and it's That's, That's one the of the problems things because I, I don't I don't see that I don't see these up and comers I I see a lot of people that are trying to get on that what's that um that that stand up show that's on Fox or whatever every like three times a year what is that show you know what I'm uh, talking about I don't know uh the 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 reality stand up show where it's they where you're like think- you're like in front of Roseanne Barr and two other judges and they're they're critiquing your material and all that and then you go there's a bunch of comedians in Chicago that did really well. On that, I tried to watch that, on, and it's just—it's terrible stand-up. It's so unoriginal. It—it—it's it, nothing that I would ever pay any kind of money to go see. It's the same shit repackaged. You just put a different outfit on him. You put a dis- different costume costume on the same character that's going on stage every time. So coming out of that environment and out of that soil, I don't see anybody that's coming up challenging anything that's being cutting edge, that's that's rocking the comedy world the way a Bill Hicks once did. Well, it's funny you should say that there isn't really a platform or a venue for him to go to and really hash out material and find out what's going to work and what's not. I think the last, maybe the last place, and it, it might be dead by now, might have changed. I mean, Mitzi Shore just died. She owned the comedy oh, yeah. store. That's right. You know, the comedy store was infamous for, I'm not going to pay you, but you can get up there and, I'll, and you can say anything you fucking want. 
Yeah, like she seller. never dict she never dictated uh, content to her comedians. Right, comedy seller in uh, New York. I know Drew Michael. He was the one guy out of Chicago um, when I was there. I caught him at the tail end of his Chicago time, and he's writing for Saturday Night Live now. And he's he's doing. He had a Comedy Central special, half hour special. Really good guy. A really, I mean, deep intellectual, dark comedian. But he's different. You know what I mean? He sets himself. He stands out like a wart on Snow White's forehead. When he goes yeah. on stage, you know, and he's doing, he's working at the comedy cellar now. He does like an hour a week there uh, and he's touring nationally. But other than that, I don't know of anybody else who's doing that kind of material, that kind of challenging, risky, deep probing material. Ari yeah. Shafir, but he is, if you don't agree with his stance, he tends to really rub people the wrong way. Uh, yeah. I sent you a video of him. He's the guy that was on Huff, Huffington Post and they were like, so what do you feel about politics? And he's like, I don't really care. The only way to, oh, yeah, only way yeah, to change yeah, politics yeah. is to start killing politicians. And the guy was like, <laughs> You're not oh, he's not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. no, seriously, roll out the guillotines. Shit will change very quickly. Right. And I mean, so if you don't have that type of, of humor, Sean Rouse is another guy. I mean, Sean Rouse, he's, I don't know, he's got, I don't know if you've ever seen him. He's got like really bad rheumatoid arthritis and, he was in the um, Unbookables, the documentary that Doug Stanhope did about tour, a bunch of guys like him touring comedians who, like, okay, they had a three-night stand at some, like, you know, chuckle hut and fucking butt-fuck Omaha somewhere. Right. And the first night was they're feeling the crowd out. Mm -hmm. So the really edgy, subversive shit didn't come out. Second night, they started letting it hang out. And they had also been drinking since the end of their first set, the first night. So it's like yeah, that helps. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're now they're now twenty four hours into a three day bender, and so the give a fuck has just left. Right. And the owner comes to him and goes, "Look, I can't have this. You're offending my patrons. I can't have it. And if you do it, I'm gonna, I, you know, I, I'll cut you off, and and I won't pay you, and you, I'll, I'll tell you to leave. And Sean Rouse is outside, and he goes, "You know what? Fuck it." He's going to have to tell me to leave. And he goes in and starts doing jokes about Taiwanese 12-year-old sex slaves dying in a tsunami. And he's like, oh, it isn't enough that my asshole that's been blown out by German tourists is taking in water. Now I have to fucking drown. And thank you, God. I love you. I mean, I'm doing it no justice, but I mean, I was in tears. I posted it on Facebook, and I had three people comment, and all of the comments were, Jesus Christ, dude. And I was like, that's the, you know what? That's the shit that you don't want to laugh at, but you laugh at. Yeah. Right. It so, pulls it out of you. I, this is, like, I don't have good examples to, to, to draw from to, to, to prove my point, but I think this is what I was trying to get at what's changed from the era of Eddie Murphy and the, you know, stadium selling right, yeah. comedian George to, Carlin, all them. To, yeah. to now. And well, you know, George Carlin's kind of an exception, I, I guess, but there was, uh, I, I don't know if this was a catalyst for it or just a result of it, but like around the time when the movie, the aristocrats came out, right. <laughs> yeah. And, this was all the 
the comedians tell that everybody yeah. knew already telling jokes that they would never have told on stage, right? Right. This was the yeah. jokes and they said is, backstage. <laughs> right. And this kind of I I'm not saying that this movie alone did it, but that was part of this opening up to what we have now with uh like comedians like you were describing earlier, Rich, like Jim Norton. Like guys who the shit that they crack each other up with backstage They'll take that shit right out on stage and throw it in people's faces. Yeah, first yeah. time I saw Jim Norton talking about, so did anybody else play Monster Rain when you were a kid? And then the whole crowd was oh, like, what the fuck's Monster Rain? He's like, well, me and my friend, we played Monster Rain. We'd be outside, it'd start raining, we'd go, Monster Rain! And then we get under the, the porch and I'd suck his dick. <laughs> I, I love Jim Norton. Yeah. <laughs> talking about banging trannies and shit. Yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like, yeah, I was, I was, I was, you know, I had a threesome with me and Ron Jeremy and this random chick and she's blowing me. And every once in a while, Ron would just bury it to the base in her. And I kept worrying that her teeth are going to clamp down and just take my dick off. It was like, <laughs> but I, I wasn't worried enough to pull my dick out of her mouth, you know, and just, uh, like shit like that is like, yeah. And see, I know that the, it's a, it's a, it's, it's fucking, it's, it's hacky material now these days. But if you go back and you look at Richard Pryor when he first started, he wanted to be Bill Cosby suit. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what I see when I, when I watch Eddie Murphy now. I see Richard Pryor. He oh. sounds like Richard Pryor. He acts like Richard Pryor yeah. in, in Delirious and Raw. It sounds like he's just doing Richard Pryor on stage to me. <laughs> when, when, when he was in Raw and he's talking about, I was 14 going to comedy clubs, but I didn't know, I had no life experience. So all I could do is talk about taking a shit. But I did it like Richard Pryor. Yeah. Like, you ever take shit and it come back on you? What's that chunk want? And he's like, I was dying. I was like, yeah. oh my God. But then I realized you're absolutely right. I'm like, that's where he got his persona. Yeah. 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 His, no, his, that, that really. The, that early Richard Pryor though is is bizarre to watch. It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. You can find that stuff every you know, a lot of. In fact, I think I have the, like a video collection of that stuff. But it's just yeah, really man. weird to see Richard Pryor up there in a three piece suit, trying to do milk toast comedy. Work clean. It's yeah. like it's oh, like oh, early Carlin. Carlin. Yeah, I was just gonna say when he was the hippy dippy weatherman. Oh yeah, yeah. Carlin was yeah yeah. That's he's he's another case study in that. If you go back and read and and listen to a lot of his. Uh, uh, stuff where he talks about the transition from doing, you know, the hippy dippy weatherman and Johnny Carson and all that. And he uh -huh. figured out, like, I don't want to do this shit. I don't like these people. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to play for these people. I don't want to do Vegas. I want to do my stuff. And he started transitioning with that seven dirty or seven words you can't say on TV or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. was like yeah, just this clear line of demarcation where he said, you know what? I'm going to do my stuff. And, and boom. He turned into a, he's a cultural icon now, simply because yeah, of that. It, it was, it's kind of the same with Pryor, because I remember the suited Pryor doing the clean material. Yeah. And then he disappeared. Well, he, I mean, he didn't disappear. He just, he wasn't as much in the public eye for like a year or two. And then the next, I don't even think it was a special. I think someone just had, was filming him at some small comedy club. He's got a fro. He's got a mustache. He's wearing like an army jacket. Yeah. And motherfucker is like his go-to. I mean, it's like taking a breath, you know, yeah. and he's dropping, he's dropping every curse word he can. And it's just like, that was like, I think 72. Right. Yeah. And for people who watched him in like the late sixties and saw him on TV yeah. and said, Oh, remember that colored comedian and colored <laughs> fellow we thought was so funny. Let's go see him. And he's up there like, he's up there like, 
Yeah, y'all looking at me thinking that nigga crazy. You know what? I am. You know, and then they're like, "Oh my god, what's wrong? This is. Are we safe? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're going to riot." But no, I. But, you, it's, know, you I think you absolutely hit. I, I just. I think Todd, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. There are no, in my mind, groundbreaking guys have come out in the last ten years. Guys that set the bar, that yeah. in in stand up. I mean, <clears throat> raise the bar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I like there's people I find funny that other people just don't get, and you know I have Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Galifianakis. Thank you. Um, I remember his first like Comedy Central special. He's just sitting in a piano and he's playing. Right. And he's like, I went to the Hollywood Walk of Fame and I found Tony Danza's star. And I pissed on it, and I yelled, "Who's the boss now?" And for whatever reason, <laughs> I fucking <laughs> I, I was almost. Yes, it's I was almost in the timing of it. Yeah, you know that, that's not really all that. You and I could probably say the same thing, and we wouldn't be funny. His ability to deliver that and time it is—he's exquisite with his timing. You know, that, that between well, well, two ferns thing—you've seen that, I'm sure, right? Oh yeah, yeah. His t- sense of timing and his deadpan is just—it's brilliant. It, the the first, my favorite Zach Galifianakis bit was oh god what. I'm trying to remember the name of the character that he did, but he can't I remember uh, the 1800s guy. The 1800s guy, yeah. Remember he had a, he had his own name and everything, and he came out with like the you know the shoes with the the buckles on the on him and shit. <laughs> Didn't he have a powdered wig on too? And, and, and he's just got like the lamest jokes. He he's hit, tapping the mic. Goes, is this thing on? Is this thing, what is this thing? <laughs> he goes, well, I, just, I just went to New York. Well, don't go there. It takes like three months. <laughs> <laughs> just like the dumbest shit but yeah. it was all in the delivery yeah right yeah but i mean it's funny but it, it's not groundbreaking no it's and it's i not. mean you know then there's Original. there's people yeah there's people that would go like you know uh andy kaufman i'll say yeah. he was groundbreaking and i'm like yeah was he he was he groundbreaking and funny or was he just groundbreaking and bizarre and he was, he was a curiosity all, I, think, I think it was all three or four I thought he was hilarious. The uh, the going on stage and um, the Mighty Mouse thing. Yeah. In that, well, yeah, but, in, that but, in that context, in that period of time, and just the risks he would take. Mm-hmm. You know, going on stage and um, challenge. It's almost like uh, like Bill Hicks. You know, going on stage and trying to run a room or Patrice O'Neill, but going on stage and reading The Great Gatsby. Yeah. <laughs> Just read. I mean, that's yeah. that's his act. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would go. He, I, it's hard to hard to articulate, I guess, but he would do things that just were so far out there that he became almost like you said, like a bizarre curiosity. And he was funny. Well, oh. the whole uh, the whole um, this the shit with the wrestling and mm-hmm. I'll wrestle any woman and shit. Funny, like, bro. I, <laughs> I I remember some of that. I was so young. I really don't remember it very clearly. Yeah. But I watch clips of it, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, they used to do this shit on, like, regular TV, and oh, yeah. and I, it's it's just shit you couldn't get away with. I mean, you watch Delirious, and Eddie Murphy's throwing around the word fag, like, you know, it's nothing. Yeah, right, right. But, you know, still, almost every comedian had their homosexual material at that point. Sam Keniston did. Yeah. You know, he just, he flipped it up with homosexual necrophiliacs, and he's like, yeah, life keeps fucking you in the ass even after you die. <laughs> Boom! You know he put a new spin on it. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I just 
I don't, I don't know if it, right now the pop culture temperature in this country is, is right for a comedian to come out and start fucking kicking down walls and, and, and kicking them open doors. No, the, the, we're just so worried about offending everybody and every, yeah, the neuro, a cell phone. Did you, I'm offended. Bar is so low now that you can't. Yeah, you know, you, I, you, you, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say I, I watched the uh, the most recent uh, Ricky Gervais Netflix Netflix special, and I know that he's not everyone's cup of tea, but he cracks me up. I like him, but the but the shit that he gets away with saying is kind of ridiculous. Like, he has a whole joke about, well, I think it was like why why men don't have babies because we just fucking kill them. We'd be like, oh, oh, geez, you know, ring up the wife. Oh, the the baby, it's dead already. It's fucking dead. <laughs> Look at this thing. It's blue. And he's like, he's acting. He's miming like he's holding it up by like a foot and like tossing it around. Like Jesus, this thing's useless. What is this? these things aren't built very well? We gotta make another one already. <laughs> You know, if you don't roll them off of their stomach, they smother themselves. These things are not intelligent. These are this is defective. But, no, but, <laughs> but you know, he's he already has something going for him. Like if if nobody had heard of Ricky Gervais and he came out with that Netflix special, oh shit, there's no way he'd have a career after that. Right? No, not after that one joke. But I mean, the cumulative effect of of all the offensive things that he says. Well, there's now this. It's like if you ever watched um uh what was the the show with the uh with Warwick Davis on it the guy who played was in Willow and, extras and, or life is short life is short okay right and so there's a part in there where Liam Neeson is auditioning not auditioning but he's practicing with Ricky Gervais because he wants to do more comedy right and he's like people don't think I'm funny you know and he's like. Okay, let's let's do a, a skit together. Okay, you know, like uh, you're a doctor and I come in for my you know consultation, and we'll just go from there. And and Leo Neeson's like, uh, okay, well, let me look at your chart here. Uh, it says here you have AIDS. And, and <laughs> is like, well, you you can't really do that. That's not you. You can't just talk about AIDS, right? And he's like, well, you do it. How do you get away with it? And he's like, I have I have no idea. <laughs> Well, you know, but, I was going to say if, but there's certain, yeah, but the, the, my point being that there are certain comedians that we've decided to give a pass to and say, you know, we'll accept this from them, but we don't seem to be open to who is going to be the next cutting edge comedian. I don't, I'm not saying that Ricky Gervais is that cutting edge comedian. It's, well, I, I don't, I don't think we have an environment where, where somebody who is cutting edge can be successful as well. You know, I, I'm starting to find, outside of a handful of stand-ups that we've already talked about, the 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 comedy that I think is at least appeals to me the most is stuff that from non-traditional areas. Like, um, I just I had to look it up because I couldn't remember the name of the movie exactly. It's a it's a mockumentary about vampires called What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. I have. I- and it's the flight of the Concord guys. It's right. the director of Thor Ragnarok, and it, it like you know a couple other people, and it's it's very like New Zealand. They're in New Zealand and all this, and the shit that that for whatever reason, 
Like, it plays better, and I was laughing my ass off at that movie. Like, I very rarely, I'm one of those guys, I've watched so much comedy, I very rarely laugh out loud. Oh, yeah? But I find shit funny. Yeah. You know, people, be like, I, my ex-wife, I used to drive, she's like, do you, is this funny to you? And I'm like, it's fucking hilarious, but <laughs> it takes a lot to pull a laugh out of me. You know, I had, it's almost like you shock a laugh out of me sometimes. Yeah. And I was laughing out loud at that movie. And I was sitting there, I'm like, when's the last time I actually laughed out loud? At a comedy movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't really think of many in the last 10 years. I mean, I enjoy them. Like, like the, right. the, the Will Ferrell, uh, Marky Mark one where they're cops. Yeah, it was an amusing the, movie, but I, I wasn't like, oh my God, I have to go get that movie and own it because it's the hilarious. other guys. Yes, the other yeah. guys. Um, That's even a solid Ke- comedy. Even Kevin Smith movies. I mean, even though he's went dark recently. Mm-hmm. Um, well, except for Yoga Hosers, but, um, like I, I love that movie. <laughs> I think Dogma was the last one. No, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I think that yeah. was the last one that really got me to laugh out loud. Yeah, and most yeah. of it was the meta shit. The right, you know, hey, you know, yeah, we have a code one twenty eight. No, I wasn't with the hooker last night. <laughs> and, and, and 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 uh, you know, Jason Bourne's like, God damn it, Ben, another hooker, really, <laughs> really, <laughs> but. Like I God, I'm, even 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 television shows, I like I know you guys love Curb Your Enthusiasm. I could just never get into it. I think just because oh, I yeah. haven't sat down I and watched love it. That show. I fucking this love that brilliant. show. I've always caught it in the middle of an episode, and I'm like, I I kind of know what's going on, but I kind of don't. And it's yeah. like uh, Arrested Development. If you start watching it in the middle of season two, mm-hmm. you're not going to get a lot of jokes well, that were set up in season. The thing one. about Curb Your Enthusiasm is, and it. Kind of reminds me a lot of like what we were talking about with Zach Galifianakis and uh, going back to Andy Kaufman too. A lot of it is you want to laugh because you want to release that tension. Mm-hmm. That person is building up this tension, cringe humor, and when it finally yeah, yeah. breaks, like you, you want to release that. That yeah. that laugh is almost cathartic. Yeah, yeah. Well, that he that's uh, what I was gonna- the thing with him is he Larry David reminds me of me. In that show, oh yeah, too, entirely too much. It's like the uh, the <laughs> clip I posted, uh, I think, to my Facebook page. You didn't see it, obviously, Aaron. But the he, it's the thank you for your service episode. Oh, my and favorite. Standing there with an Iraq vet and his wife, and everybody's thank you for your service, thank you for yeah. your service, thank you for your service. How you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go step outside. <laughs> what? What did I say? You didn't thank him for his service. What is everybody gotta thank you for his service? Yeah. Get the, get the fuck out, Larry. <laughs> well, also, it's something kind of insidious that's, that I've noticed started happening in a lot of stand-up comedy is, and I'm hesitant to even bring it up, but it's I, it, it, I've started to see labels be applied to comedians along political lines. There's the woke crowd, mm-hmm. and there's the alt-right comedy right. comedians. And an example of like woke would be Aziz Asari. Right. And alt right would be that Owen Benjamin guy who got booted from Twitter because he couldn't stop tweeting about David Hogg's pubic hairs. <laughs> right. <laughs> and like when, when, look, I'm, you said something a few weeks ago, Aaron. You said, you know, politics is involved in everything. You can't not politicize things. Okay. I get that. 
But well, when I walk into a comedy show, I leave all that bullshit at the door. I'm there to laugh. And if you want to make me laugh through politics, Bill Hicks could do it. He made yeah. me laugh through politics, you know, but well, I don't want to be preached at and be told a joke every once in a while. Right. Well, sure. Well, either I'm being misquoted or I didn't, uh, I didn't make my point clear enough, but it's, it's not that politics needs to be infused into everything. It's not that, I, I don't know. Anyway, well, anyway. The thing, well, with I mean, comedy, the thing with stand-up it, comedy is it's stand-up comedy. You have to be funny first. And if you right. want to get political, you have to, you have to be funny politically, not yeah, political yeah. and kind of funny. You yeah, know what I mean? Rogan, the, whole, the whole point is to make people laugh. People are going to be entertained to laugh at you, not Joe, like Rich said, to be preached at. Joe Rogan talks about this every once in a while on his podcast about how when he first started, it was really, you know, when he started in the 80s, that's when Carlin was really getting getting to be the curmudgeonly old Car, uh, Carlin. Like it was starting. Like he had been he had been cynical in the seventies, but he was starting to get like just jaded as fuck in the eighties. Uh-huh. Ang- yeah, angry. And he yeah. goes, there was so many comedians who, who I could go to any open mic night, even if I was a pay, it was a paying gig and I was third on the bill. One of the guys would be up there and he'd be doing his version of Carlin. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Bill Hicks came, like Lewis Black. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Bill Hicks came, and he's like, and then for he goes even before the man died, but especially after he died, you saw a lot of people going up there doing a version of Bill Hicks. Yeah, and uh, he said the last comedian he really saw it happen to was um, uh, Patrice O'Neill, and he's like, and a lot of it was the you know people go up there and it's like, you know. Who speaks for men these days? So I'm going to get up here and, and, and exercise all the demons that guys fucking think about and the dumb shit we, th- we talk about and whatever. And he's like, and it, it lost, an, it, when, when people started doing it, everything lost the novelty that the originators had brought to it. It became right. just a carbon copy of a carbon copy. It's like when I go to an open mic night and I see a guy walk in and he's got a fucking, you know, a uh, 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 custom shop, uh, 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 oh, I can't even think of it. What, they beat it up for you. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Uh, uh, a relic. Relic Strat. The, the Stevie Ray Vaughan wide brim black hat. Uh-huh. The, the, the music note fucking, you know, yeah. strap. And I'm like, dude, I love Stevie Ray Vaughan as much as the next guy. One of the main reasons I picked up guitar. Bro, you ain't him. Stop. Stop. Take take some elements from him, but take from other people, mix it up in a pot, and come up with your own jumbo here. Yeah. Well, depends, it depends gumbo. on... As far as stand-up goes, though, that depends on where you're at in your career, too, because that's how you learn. You know, you find somebody that you identify with, that yeah. you admire, you respect, and, yeah, you do them. You go up and you do them, and you slowly start whittling that away until you have your own original sort of persona. You know, there's nothing wrong with emulating somebody in the beginning, but you eventually, like you said, Rich, you have to start Okay, take elements of it. That's fine, but then you've got to create the original product, your own yeah. brand. You know? I mean, it's the same. With, it's the same with musicians. I mean, I yeah, yeah. You know, when I first started playing, everybody wanted to play like Eddie Van Halen and Ying Ve Malmsteen and all this shit. Mm. Everybody was practicing sweep arpeggios and diminished yeah. harmonic minor, and, you know, scales and shit. And I'm like, y'all want to jam some Albert King? 
And they're like, no. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the Robert Johnson box set come out, and all these shredders are sitting there trying to talk to me about how they've always been into Robert Johnson and respected him. And I'm like, get the fuck out of my face. Motherfucker, you didn't even know that they didn't make pointy guitars that could put your eye out until like three minutes ago. Shut <laughs> up. Stop. And stop using Aquanet. You're putting a hole in the ozone layer. All right? What the fuck's wrong with you? And it's just, you know, so I've always been outside of the norm. And, you know, the, the few times I've tried, like, stand-up, I'm just not built for it. I'm not. Because I, I'm going to have to be the guy that goes up there and clears the room on purpose because that's the only way I feel comfortable on stage. Where'd it's you, like, where'd you, you suck. You suck. Oh, I've tried it a few open mic nights. It did Where? not go well. <laughs> just around here locally. Really? Different venues and shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. We, would play, we, we, would, we would play shows, and in between shows, while we're, we're switching out to back lines and stuff, They'd give like a guy like fifteen twenty minutes on the mic, just doing the, stand up, doing stand up. Yeah, between between bands, and one of the ways I got invited to do it was the guy was bombing on stage, and he was also a dick who kicked my fucking pedal board out of the way, and I was mm. like, "What the fuck are you doing, dude?" And I didn't give a shit. I was interrupting the show, and he started trying to like like roast me, and I just fucking let, like lit into him on stage. And the owner was like, "That shit was funnier than him. Do you want to try that one sometime?" And I'm like. I, if I got enough drugs and alcohol in me, sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> no, we should do. We should get like uh, a weekend, find a mic up there, and just go try it again. Fuck like, no. all, like all three it's of us terrifying, <laughs> and just get lit up. You don't have to go up, Aaron, but you and I could, Rich. I did, I did a little bit of that in Chicago uh, too. I'll do it if you guys do. That'd be yeah, kind I, of fun. I don't. I don't want to go to like some prestigious place or anything like that, but some fucking <laughs> hole in the wall. See, I, I don't people. have a lot of shame. I'd have to, I'd have to like <laughs> yeah. dust off my bits. Like, yeah, the one too. that I come up with that I thought was 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 somewhat good was, you ever look at the Girl Scout calendars and there's always these fat, ugly bitches. That's so the child molesters don't have anything to jerk off to. <laughs> and I just like went into it in detail, and my buddies would crack up and laugh, and then I did that in front of an audience, and I sat there and watched people's horrified expressions, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I read this room wrong." <laughs> no, those horrified expressions, man, are great. I love them. My, my favorite bit that I did, and what really pains me that I never actually followed through on doing stand-up was back in uh, 2014. This was before it really hit the zeitgeist, the thoughts and prayers thing. I've been, yeah. I've been harping on that. I swear to God, I'm not making this up, on thoughts and prayers since like 2010. Like all the fucking time, like Facebook, whoever would listen to me. So when I was doing stand-up in Chicago in 2013, 2014, at least the open mics and trying to get started in it. That was one of the first bits I wrote up was on thoughts and prayers. And it was about a year and a half after I quit doing it that it started finding its way into the cultural discussion. And it pisses me off to this day <laughs> that I didn't sit there and actually try to develop that while I was in Chicago. Because well, yeah, that, maybe I, I don't know that I would have went anywhere with it, but when that popped up in the discussion culturally, people would have remembered me. Well, that's, that's the thing is that I don't, I didn't, I didn't take it like as seriously as I took my guitar playing or the, these podcasts. I didn't sit and critique myself and, and, and refine the bits and, and this and that. I was just yeah. like, okay, I did it. I, I always told myself I'd try it at least once or twice. I did it once or twice. I got yeah. a few laughs, you know, but it, it, it I was like, eh, I'm much better at other things, you yeah. know? Well, and that was I've, the I've thing. Seen, that was I the thing with me. I never, I never really gave myself permission to suck at it either. You know, when you start out and you've only, like when you, the first two times you touched a guitar, 
you weren't that good at the guitar either. Right. No. It's one of those things that you have to give yourself a chance and permission to suck so you can get good. <laughs> and stand-up, is that's exactly what that is. You can't go up there and take it personally. You know, you have to well, understand where the hell you're at. I also had a guy in the, uh, at one of the, t- the second time I did it, he was like, um, you know, so you think it's going to be something you stick with? And I was like, no, not really. And he goes, can I say something? And I'm like, what? He goes, you know, just sitting here talking to you, you're a funny guy, but not all funny people are meant to be stand-ups. Right. Because if you don't feel the need to get up there and do it and work on it and refine it, then maybe it's just not for you. Find, yeah. an, find another avenue and outlet for it. And he's yeah. like, and that's, I'm not trying to discourage you. He goes, but if you don't, it's like if I was, he goes, if I started picking up guitar and, you know, can I get lessons from you? And then after six months, I, I still only know G, C, and D. Obviously, I'm not driven to learn more. No matter how many lessons you give me and how much you show me, it's not going to make me sit down and, and practice it and hone my craft. Right. Which is, I don't really do it much anymore, but I used to listen to every fucking podcast at least two, three times. All the way through, headphones, yeah. in the car, yeah. yeah, dissecting, not you guys. No, I know. I don't, even listen. I don't even listen to you guys when I listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I don't. I'm trying to figure out if I'm, if I'm crutching on things, if I'm repeating myself. You know, I say, you know, all the fucking time. I figured that yeah. out. Well, uh, but yeah, you go, you, you go through and you critique yourself. And you try to improve and you try to figure out when to shut up and, and you know, there I go again, you know. <laughs> it's, just, well, Chris, it's one of those things. Yeah, you're trying to improve. I think, I think it was the first month after doing Unregimented with the guys, Chris was like, so I could tell that you've, uh, you've hung out in urban areas. I'm like, why do you say it? Because you sound like Butter's bottom bitch. Is every, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, yes, I know what you're saying. There's no need to keep asking. Yes, I know what you are saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I, are we all ever crutches? Yeah. Well, yeah, God, that's yeah. the, that's, the, you didn't, I don't think you went to specs, but that's the one thing that they, they, at least when I was there, they, made us aware of we all have something that we grudge on when we don't know what to say a lot of us it's um you know mm-hmm. <laughs> me it's you know at this point i hate it i want to like i don't know poke myself in the eardrum every time i say it but this no, used, to, this used to drive one of the instructors crazy but we had probably half the class 640 AMW NLD southfield's best mix that was Starship with We Built This City. Next up, a little bit of Eric Clapton with, and he's like, of, a little bit. Stop saying a little bit. You know, he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, you hit the post, but stop saying a little bit. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, you slow down just a little bit, and you'll hit the post without saying a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The one thing about uh, that you mentioned about stand-up, though, uh, that I, I guess that I wanted to throw in there before we move away from that is the, the urge to perform. Uh I got into this in the in the Demon Podcast, friend. Uh, EscapingTheCave.com, by the way, um, where the addiction I think to stand up comedy, where people get really involved in it, is the immediacy of it. In other words, you know, we're, we're doing a podcast right now. We don't know who's listening. We have no idea how people are going to react to it. It's not going to come out right. for another couple of days. When right. you're a stand up and you're on stage, it's, I'm, I'm assuming it's kind of like being a musician, but I think it's more intense. In the sense that you're up there alone, you're speaking into a microphone, and the um, the response and the approval or disapproval from the audience is immediate. It's I immediate mean, and all on you. I mean, you're playing exactly. with the band, you'd be like, oh, I guess they don't like the bass player. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can <laughs> blame it on somebody else, but if you're doing <laughs> stand-up, on, 
It's yeah. it's all you. Yeah, that urbanized <laughs> bass player. He just fucked up. But yeah, <laughs> and and you can get addicted to that. You know that that approval, and it mm-hmm. turns in. It's like you were talking about with Facebook and the likes earlier. It's this dopamine rush that you you get so absorbed in getting that and so addicted to it that that becomes the drive. Well, yeah, I mean, think about how many comedians you've heard interviewed and they're like, well, I started out just trying to get my dad's attention or just trying to stand right. out amongst a family of six people. Or is it or, a defensive ne- mechanism to keep from getting my ass beat at school? Right. 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 I, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's a stereotype and it's, I mean, but it's true. Most of the funny people I know severely damaged people growing up. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I rarely meet a very good looking, very funny person who didn't have some sort of like trauma in their childhood. Right. Now, to yeah. what extent everybody's, everybody's tolerance level for trauma is different. So, I mean, you know, parents getting divorced at five could be his trauma. Whereas, you know, you could have been passed around, but neighborhood pedophiles like a party joint is the trauma for somebody else. Right. But when I, when I meet people who aren't funny, who have a, just a very 40 degree day personality, mm-hmm. almost, to um, a person, they come from what we would think of as the waspy, stereotypical home. Right. Mom, yeah. dad, white yeah. picket fence. Mm-hmm. You know. No worries. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. No anxiety at all. And you, get, you you can take that all the way up the, the chain, into at least from what I saw in Tucson and then again in Chicago, is that the stand-ups who were there, the ones that I got to know enough to actually sort of delve into their history a little bit that runs all the way up the chain the ones that are in chicago that are successful they all have something but the thing that they did was they identified it they understand what it is to some degree and they figured out a way to use it and that's those are the people that you know if you watch drew michael uh you'll he's (laughs) he's a kind of a, a, a slightly damaged young man and he understands that, and he knows how to bring it on stage. And the, these comics, the really successful ones, know how to personalize that, make it funny, and connect with the audience, that, that vulnerability. But yeah, they're all almost invariably scarred somehow, in some way. And that, you know, that, that addiction, you know, getting that approval, and it, it's, it's a really dangerous thing because you can't fill that. You can never get enough of it. If you get, you, you can get an uproaring, you know, standing ovation at the end of this set. And if you don't get that next time, you've regressed. You know, it's never, it's not something that's ever right. sustainable. That's the danger of it. That's why you get somebody like Robin Williams who, you know, commits suicide because he can never get enough of it. You know, well, it's like a drug. I'll tell you. This podcast is starting to become unsustainable. <laughs> it's about time to wrap this one up. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, what are we, three and a half hours? Yeah. Jesus, yeah. sorry. So, <laughs> no, no, no. This is great. But it is time to thank everyone for downloading and listening. And if you like this show, just tell somebody. That's tell Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. If you know Anna Kendrick, make sure she listens. But no, uh, you can you can also engage us in some conversation, even or just follow us on Twitter or Facebook at what is it? Unregimented Pod. Yeah, that's Twitter. Twitter. Facebook's just unregimented. Un- unregimented on Facebook. Unregimented Pod on Twitter. Check out the other shows, ChristopherMedia.net. 
Absolutely, like Escape in the Cave. Yes. I haven't done shit with that in three weeks. Sorry. And if and if everything goes as planned, we might have a new show to premiere in the next week or two. So. Oh, yeah. Ooh. And that one's going to be very not safe for work for adults only, and you better have an iron stomach. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so I, we'll uh, see you guys next week. Bye. I'll miss Later, you. Guys. If you like this show, please tell a friend. Please follow us on Twitter and like and share us on Facebook by searching for Christopher Media. You can subscribe to all ChristopherMedia.net shows for free on ChristopherMedia.net. Please make sure to rate and comment on all your favorite Christopher Media shows. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net. And thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net.